order. Are you ready? Hurt, ready? Yep. We're ready. Okay. Welcome everyone to the Tuesday, October 4th, 2022 City Commission meeting. Um, first, we will have an executive session. When we return, we'll do the instruction portion uh, for the public that will hopefully be here. Do I have any motions? I move that we recess into an executive session for approximately 30 minutes to discuss privileged legal communications from the city's attorneys regarding current law and policy pursuant to KSA 754319 subsection B2. The justification for the executive session is to keep attorney-client privilege matters confidential at this time. The city commission will resume its regular meeting in the city commission room at approximately 5.32 p.m. after the executive session is concluded. Second. I have a first and second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Aye, that passes five to zero. <clears throat> Thank you, everyone. Uh, we have returned from an executive session. We have nothing to report. Uh, we will um, uh, recess uh, just till 545 so that everyone out there who's not here yet who wants to come to this meeting or be involved uh, will be able to do that. Uh, do I need a motion? Nope. nope, good. We'll return at 5.45. Thank you. All right. Are you good with the mayor starting? Are we ready? Maybe... Kurt? Yep. Porter? Yeah, hang on just one second, sorry. Okay. Is that an okay? Okay. You ready? Good. Good? Yes. Okay. Welcome everyone back to the Tuesday, October 4th, 2022 Lawrence City Commission meeting. Um, we've had an executive session and returned. Uh, now we will have an explanation for how our meetings operate. First from Porter O'Neill. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everyone. I just have a few housekeeping items for the Zoom portion of tonight's meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. <clears throat> Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Shipley. Thank you. Uh, next, we will have some explanation of how public comment works from Sherry. 
Thank you, Mayor. When the Mayor calls for public comment, individuals attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Individuals will be called on in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. Please state your name before speaking, and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Now we'll move on to the approval of the agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Uh, do I have any changes? Um, Mayor, I'd like to move the recognition, proclamation, and presentation above public comment, then to approve the rest of the agenda. All right, any seconds? Second. I have a first and second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 That passes five to zero. Thank you. Our first recognition is um, for Oitin, Germany, student delegation, our sister city. Um, if you'll give me a second, Professor, I'll try to remember all my German here. Willkommen. Wir möchten Sie begrüßen. Bitte meine Grammatik ignorieren. Gibt es mir am mindesten eine Professor, wer Anmerkungen gaben wollen? Wir freuen uns, dass Sie endlich hier sind. Ich möchte deine Familien zu Hause danken. Vielleicht Sie sind YouTube jetzt zu sehen. Hallo. <lacht> Danke auch deiner amerikanischen Familien. Ich möchte Ihren Bürgermeister Carsten Bink auch grüßen. Hallo. Mit Eutin verbindet uns seit 33 Jahren eine Freundschaft. Danke an die vielen Menschen, die unsere Freundschaft aufgebaut haben. Vielen Dank. Now, Professor? You sound like a Nazi you are. That is your first warning. Dankeschön, Frau Bürgermeisterin. Thank you. Mayor Courtney Shipley, and also to the commission. Uh, 35 years ago, actually, we made our first presentation as Friends of Oitin uh, to Mayor Mike Amix, who gave us the key to the city to take to Oitin in a proclamation expressing the hope for further friendship. Now, 35 years later, that's a long time. I'll call it a third of a century, uh, and 33 years of a formal relationship as sister cities, uh, we're very, very happy that after a three-year break due to circumstances that I need not describe, uh, we're again welcoming a delegation of 12 students from the two high schools in Oitin who are attending three high schools here in Lawrence, and they're accompanied by their uh, chaperone and teacher, Falk Freidel, from the Johann Heinrich Voss Schule in Oitin, who teaches English. That's Good for the City Commission to know, because uh, he'll be able to speak to you in English, and also physical education. So without further ado, uh, we're very pleased to introduce Falk Feidel, and he will introduce his students. Thank you. Hello, good evening, and thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to address you, to um, also give the greetings of the Eutin um, the schools of Eutin. <coughs> so I'm Falk Freidel. I'm from Eutin. I'm a teacher at the Voss School, as um, Dr. Kiel already said. Um, I'm staying actually here with um, um, Kelly and Arne Scholz, 
Um, and uh, they, I think they're the perfect hosts. They're so helpful and generous. And Arne Scholz um, had been a um, colleague of mine at the school um, when he came here in 2013. And then he suddenly decided to stay here because he met Kelly over here. <laughs> <laughs> and I can understand him now even better that I've come here and have um, um, gotten to know the people of, of Lawrence. They're very, very friendly. Everybody's very helpful. And everybody has a certain connection, at least maybe not to Eutin, but to Germany. That is quite, quite funny to, to or quite nice to, to get to know. Um, I would like to then introduce my students to you, um, but before that, as Dr. Kiel said, I'm, I'm a PE teacher, I'm also interested in, in sports in Lawrence, and I think we are all witness, witnessing history here concerning the football. <laughs> so that's, I, I really enjoy that, I'm enjoying that very much to that. Um, so this is, I think, very American, and that's what I take home. So we don't have an enthusiasm for that in Germany as well. So thanks very much for having us. And now, um, my students. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, um, my name is Emily Kasch. I'm a student at um, the Foss Gymnasium in Eutin. And I'm staying here with the Mimedomich family, and I'm going to Free State High School with my host, Emina. My host, yeah. Hello, my name is Aaron Kunke. I'm a student of Johann, from Johann Heinrich Voss Gymnasium Eutin, and I'm going on the LHS, aka Lawrence High School in Lawrence. And I'm 17 years old, and I'm staying with the Moultons and my exchange brother, Simeon Moulton. Hello, I'm Paul. I'm staying with the Timkers. I go to Seabury in America, and I also visit the FOSS in Germany. My name is Muriel. I'm going to the FOSS school in Germany, and here I'm staying at the Free State, and with, I'm staying with the Müllers, Carly, Tracy, and Steve, and I'm very glad to be here. <laughs> Hello, my name is Emma Reichert. Um, I'm staying with the Bellarifs, um, Eliza, Amy, and John, a really lovely family. Um, at home, I'm visiting the Fosschule in Eutin, and here I'm visiting LHS with my host. Hello, I'm Felix. I am 17 years old. I am staying with the King's family, with Jake, Bella, John and Kathy, and I go to Free State High School, and I really, really like it here in Lawrence. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mathis. I'm 16 years old. I'm staying with the Kings too. In Germany, I'm at the Weber School and here at the Free State. Hello, my name is Simon, I'm 16 years old. I go to the Weber School in Germany and to the Lawrence High School here. And I'm staying with my nice host brother, Kai, 13. 
Hi, I'm Anna. Um, I'm visiting the German school Weberschule and here I'm staying with the Hellings and visiting Bishop Seabury Academy. Good afternoon, I'm Frida. I'm from Fast Schule and I'm visiting the Bishop Seabury Academy and I'm staying with the Garlachs. Hello, I'm Beke Storm. I come, uh, I go in Eutin to the Weber School and here in America on uh, to the Lawrence High and I'm staying with the Stafford family. I'm Vanessa, I'm from the Weber School in Germany and I'm going to LHS and my hosts are the Derbys and I'm going to school with Aaron and Megan. So I think there were all my students and thanks again for having us and giving us the opportunity to enjoy American, the American way of life. Thanks very much. Vielen Dank, thank you so much. We have the students come up for a picture. You want us down there? I think that might be height. Height, right. Where should we go? So, come on up to the dais. Oh, she stay there. Stay, stay okay. here. Let's see if that works. This thing right? Okay. And if we can have everybody just line up symmetrically. <laughs> uh, try to have taller people in the back. <laughs> and city commissioners, if you need to find a place where we can see you. Hmm. Yeah. 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 You might have to find a way. How's that? Now do a thumbs up or some kind of cheer. Rock chalk. Rock chalk. Rock chalk. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you all. Good seeing you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good seeing you. Thank you very much. You may have to stay because you might be our good luck charm. That brings us now to our recognition of Indigenous Peoples Day. Hold on here. Let me get to that. I think we have more than a few people who might be willing to speak about Indigenous Peoples Day. That was nice, man. Yeah. Um, Carol, do you have any comments? <laughs> Hello, my name is Carol uh, Kadu Blackwood, and I would like to welcome our students here from Oitin to what we call Turtle Island. I would like to thank the city of Lawrence today for this great opportunity to be here today. I'm a proud longtime Lawrence resident and have matriculated through the public institutions in this great city that this great city has to offer. 
I have attended Lawrence Public Schools K through 12 and hold a degree from Haskell Indian Nations University and two degrees from the University of Kansas. And I'm also a proud member of the Board of Education for Lawrence Public Schools. The proclamation is a great step towards unity and healing for our indigenous peoples. This country, this land we call Turtle Island, was conceived on a promise of equality and opportunity for all people. The flame statue that burns brightly outside of this building is a tribute to Langston Hughes' flame, which reminds us that we can illuminate the way for our children to work together in upholding the rights and dignity of our indigenous people who were here long before colonization of the Americas began. Today, we can also commit to supporting to a, a new, brighter future of promise and equity for tribal nations, a future grounded in tribal sovereignty and respect for the human rights of the indigenous people in the Americas and and around the world. Let Lawrence, Kansas become the leader for indigenous, indigenous education in Langston Hughes' dream for empowering our students. Ginaway Dagnuk, we're all connected. Miigwech, thank you. Thank you, Carol. Go ahead, Steve. My name is Steve Cadu, 624 Forest, Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, I first want to thank the mayor and the city commission for uh, uh, enacting the proclamation for the Indigenous Peoples Day. It, uh, it, it accomplishes the proclamation, accomplishes many things. Uh, it's educational. Uh, it gives the Native American visibility, uh, and, it's an, and it's awareness, and most of all, it's an education. Uh, I'm, I serve on a committee with the USD 497 uh, Indigenous Knowledge and uh, Curriculum Committee. When our students see our city leaders, such as you're doing tonight, when you're recognizing uh, indigenous knowledge and history and culture, that's great inspiration and motivation for our students in 497. When city leaders uh, uh, are, are seen to be involved and supportive of an issue that's very, very important, especially important to our students in USD 497. So, uh, Again, I, I, I greatly appreciate the City Commission for adopting this uh, proclamation this evening. Thank you. Miigwech. Thank you, Steve. Oh, one other thing. We have an open ad hoc kind of committee. The City Commission, the members, our staff, we really need your help and contribution and, and input. So each of you, the City Commission, staff, uh, are, are invited to any of our meetings, and we normally meet once a month. Thank you. Thank you again, Steve. Christina, did you have anything? No pressure. Uh, 
Thank you. Yet HK does in a ash, Egersina has a Yenishet, Hora Chitnishan, the Bethlehem, Bashash, Inash, Ajatabaha, Dasha Cheki, Anya Schnella. Hello, my name is Christina Haswood. I'm better waterborne for the Black Sheep people. My maternal grandparents are the Zuni Edgewater. My paternal grandparents are the Towering House people. That's who I am as a young Indigenous woman. I'm also a state representative. Um, but today, I just want to thank the City Commission on this proclamation. Um, as a state rep, we're trying to get, make this change at the state level, um, and we're not so as fortunate as we are here at a home community. Uh, being an urban Native American um, young woman, uh, growing up here in Lawrence, born and raised, uh, stuff like this really impacts and means a lot to a lot of us who are of the urban Native American community where we're being raised off our reservation and outside of our culture. Uh, this is a very important step forward where uh, we are taking back a day that was previously celebrated by a very person who was of ill intent uh, to the indigenous uh, peoples um, and wasn't even uh, founded the United States. Um, so I really want to say thank you so much for having us here today and doing this proclamation. Um, it's really great to see other cities across Kansas do this as well. Um, and I will defer to um, uh, any community members who else wants to speak. Thank you. Carol, was there someone else you brought to speak? Hello, uh, my name is Kenny Sampier, uh, the new NAS coordinator at Lawrence Public Schools, uh, Native American Student Services Coordinator. Uh, and this day, uh, it, like everybody else said, uh, it means a lot. It's it's a good step forward, and I'm, I'm it's just it's amazing. I just appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. With that, um, I will read the proclamation. Whereas the city of Lawrence recognizes that the indigenous peoples of the lands that would later become known as the Americas have occupied these lands since time immemorial. And whereas the city of Lawrence recognizes that Lawrence is built upon the homelands of the Kanza, Osage indigenous people, and whereas Lawrence, Kansas is home to Haskell Indian Nations University, currently representing over 120 federally recognized tribes from throughout the United States. And whereas the city of Lawrence values the many contributions made to Lawrence, community through indigenous people's intellectual, spiritual, and the deep cultural contribution that have enhanced the character of the city of Lawrence. And whereas the idea of Indigenous Peoples Day was first proposed in 1977 by a delegation of Native Nations to the United Nations, and sponsored international conference on discrimination against indigenous populations in the Americas. Now therefore I, Courtney Shipley, mayor of the city of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim Monday, October 10th as Indigenous Peoples Day in the city of Lawrence and urge citizens to reflect upon the culturally diverse struggles of indigenous people on this land to encourage ongoing efforts to reflect the full and accurate history of our place and to celebrate the resilient culturally diverse indigenous traditions and values in our community. Thank you all for being here. That brings us to public comment. Oh, hold on. 
The public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. My name is Dr. Justin Spies. I'm running for Douglas County Commissioner in District 1 as a Republican candidate. The uh, seat is currently held by Patrick Gottenoff Track, Track Kelly. The reason why I call him Patrick Gottenoff Track Kelly is because in a recent LJ World article, the county administrator Sarah Plinsky is quoted as saying when it came to the financial policies that the county commission has gotten off track. Just recently, I, uh, I've created a, a YouTube uh, channel. I appreciate it if you go check it out on there. I talk about a lot of my uh, uh, views on, on politics and, and what I'll do as, as a commissioner. And uh, one of the things I've been talking a lot about lately is taxes. And the reason why I talk about that is because you know, the, the city, the county, and the school district all voted to raise property taxes. Uh, while, uh, if you look in their budget, in the county's budget, they have a $42 million uh, rainy day fund sitting there that they could have uh, dipped into to uh, not increase your taxes, but they decided not to do that. Along with that, over the years, through our one cent sales tax, they've accumula accumulated $12.6 million that is sitting right there. Again, they could have dipped into that to lower your property taxes as well, but declined to do that. And who knows why, you know, why they wouldn't do that. I mean, other than, you know, it's incompetence, it's uh, mismanagement, and, you know, just, just stupidity. So you have $55 million, and, and this is just of those funds. There's $55 million sitting there. There's there's other funds that could be looked into as well, but there's $55 million sitting there and that they could have used and, and decided not to, and instead uh, decided to raise your taxes, which contributed to a 70% increase in property taxes over the last 20 years, while the rest of Kansas is sitting at an 8% increase. So 70% increase here in Douglas County, 8% with the rest of the county. Meanwhile, they're sitting on $55 million. Now, that one cent sales tax fund is projected to uh, be at about $15.3 million in 2023. So there's going to be even more money sitting in there. So uh, one of the things I'm, I'm going to propose when I'm a county commissioner is uh, I'm not going to raise your I'm not going to raise your taxes. And, and how I'll be able to to be able to propose that is, is cutting into that money. I mean, it's just common sense. I, I don't understand why, you know, why they uh, why they wouldn't have wouldn't have done that is just common sense. And, and speaking of common sense, I don't understand why you would vote for Patrick gotten off track Kelly, knowing that he doesn't have the common sense. He's not looking out for your best interest by raising your taxes, knowing that there's money sitting there. It was entirely unnecessary for him to vote to raise taxes. And you might not like me, and you might not like what I stand for, but just remember that I'm proposing solutions to these problems, which is a lot more than I can say about Patrick gotten off track, Kelly. So consider vote for me. Check out my YouTube channel. It's called Dr. Justin Peace. Thank you.
Hello, my name's Nicole. I'd like to discuss the danger that comes from supporting liberal politicians and thus liberal policies. As of last week, the Biden admin has allowed at least 267,000 unaccompanied children to cross the southern border. That's 126,000 children in the first fiscal year, 2021. And this year, we're already surpassing that god-awful number, now at 140,000, and the year's not over yet. Can you imagine a quarter of a million children with no adult or parent to keep them safe? Where's your outrage? The Biden admin states that 267,000 unaccompanied children were released to vetted sponsors or parents. If those sponsors were vetted in the same way the refugees from Afghanistan were, then these children are in serious danger under their supervision. Where's your outrage? What could go wrong? In 2021 alone, over half of the 126,000 children who came here cannot be located. Their sponsors have not returned calls. Essentially, 63,000 children are unaccounted for, missing, from 2021 alone. At that rate, there will be a quarter of a million missing children by the end of Biden's term. Where's your outrage? There have been reports of unaccompanied children as young as 14 being rescued from prostitution rings. Many die on the journey. Many are tortured, raped, and killed by Mexican cartel or other immigrants. There are serious reports of children being used for organ harvesting. Where's your outrage? So what is Biden doing to fight for the safety of our children? Well, on the same day that these horrific stats were released, he voiced continued support for psychological testing for the adults who are separated from children under Trump. What a blatant distraction. Under Trump, there were never more than 10,000 unaccompanied minors per year. Even at that highest rate of 10,000, that'd be a total of 40,000 children under the Trump admin. Now Biden liberal open border policies will allow for an extra 494,000 children unaccompanied to be brought by cartels into our country. We remember the, the liberal cries under Trump for kids in cages, cages that were built by Obama. Well, now we have those same cages plus almost half a million more children. Where's your outrage? If we extrapolate the number of 534,000 unaccompanied minors under Biden to local numbers, breaking it down by 2020 census data, we could reasonably predict that Douglas County will receive a total of 214 unaccompanied children. Douglas County can al could also be presumed to have allowed 107 of these children to go missing. Where's your outrage? Liberal policies destroy lives, most importantly children's. Vote wisely. Any further public comment? My name is Joe Herrick, and I would like to roll back time 2,000 years to the Roman Empire. Uh, this is an organization, a country, an empire that lasted over 1,000 years. What finally destroyed them? They had, it wasn't an army, they had a very strong army. They destroyed themselves from within. When they, their budget got to where they were paying out 33% of their total revenue for entitlements, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Now let's go forward 2,000 years 
to present-day United States. Today, our entitlements, mandatory spending, amounts to $4.3 trillion. Now, that's made up of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, WIC, SNAP, you name it, agriculture subsidies, and that also includes interest on the debt, which is $300 billion, and that's at a rate of 2.18%. So we know that's going to go up. Now, if you look at the uh, discretionary spending, that amounts to $1.7 trillion. 900000 of that is for airports, infrastructure, and $700 billion is for defense. When you total all of our expenses up, it totals $6 trillion. Now, our revenue coming in from all sources is 4.2. So what that says is our, our uh, subsidies to mandatory spending amounts to 96% of our budget. And it's just a matter of time till we're going to follow in the same steps as the Roman Empire. Now, the other thing is like Nicole mentioned, <clears throat> we have 2 million people streaming across our borders. And we're busing them to all of our major cities in the dark of night. They're not COVID tested. Uh, we don't know what disease they're bringing. We know there's a lot of criminals. But like Nicole says, there's no outrage. It's time to wake up, people. We are destroying ourselves from within. Hi, Commissioners. My name's Amy. I'm a Lawrence resident. There's no outrage is right. I mean, Amber, you can't even pay attention. I don't know what you're doing over there, but you've literally not looked up when two of my friends have spoke the whole time. This stuff may not be stuff that you guys can do something about, but you can listen. You know, you could make eye contact. Thank you, Brad. You have. I mean, we just want you to listen. And if there's anything you can do to head things off of the pass help that would be great I don't know if there is but acknowledgement and listening to the people when they come and talk to you Amber again thank you any further public comment what's going on in this town at the last police review board meeting, we had a chief that couldn't even look at somebody, purposely played with his phone, and even left the room. And she doesn't even pay attention. I, this was not even what I was going to talk about, but it's amazing. She, does, she doesn't even look up. She's busy on the computer, whatever it is. Several weeks ago, I came in here and told the commission that there was going to come a time 
where the cops on the street were popping off rounds at somebody. And this week we have a alleged burglary subject who received the death penalty by firing squad. Wow. That's how much she cares, guys. How many rounds? I've had people tell me they heard 15 to 20. How many rounds does it take to kill somebody? I told you it was training. I've made videos showing you it was the training. I pointed out the low scale problems that lead to this kind of bullshit, but you guys don't care. You ignore it, continue to work on your computer. I, I'm just absolutely blown away by the way that this is gonna happen. And I thank the, the few of you that are gonna stay on track with the way you should behave on that dais. But you had police in this town unleash a barrage of bullets on a single person because he brandished a weapon. <clears throat> and I've had a sergeant on the street after describing bullets flying by an officer's head tell people that this misdemeanor charge of discharging a firearm in town isn't worth our time. Our lives are important too. Anything goes when it comes to officer safety, right? But we have no option. Do you guys know that it's codified Kansas law that it is a criminal offense to resist a criminal arrest that's illegal? How many bullets did it take to stop an alleged burglary suspect who brandished a firearm? Any further public comment? Any public comment online? If so, please raise your digital hand. There's no public comment online, Mayor. Okay. Thank you. That brings us to our consent agenda. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any items commissioners would like to remove from the consent agenda? No. Nope. Nothing. Um, are there any items members of the public would like to remove from the consent agenda? B9. B9? E. E9. Any other items the public would like to remove from the consent agenda? Just E9A. E9A or B. E9 Asked. Oh, sorry. I'm trying to scroll down to it. I'm sorry. That's no, on me. I don't know why the acoustics are a little weird for me tonight. E9 has two items under it. Are you wanting its uh, resolutions? Uh, A. 
A. E9A. Okay. E9A. Okay. Any other items the public would like to remove? Anyone online uh, who would like to remove an item from consent? No, Mayor. All right. Uh, do I have any motions? I move for approval of the consent agenda with the exception of E9A. Second. I have a first and second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, Dr. Spees? All right, so about four weeks ago, the uh, commission started kicking around the idea of how they could limit and censor general public comment. And uh, they didn't get to it uh, over the, the next two weeks. And then two weeks ago, they, they finally got to it and they didn't have enough, uh, or Amber Sellers wasn't here. Uh, so they decided not to vote on it. So they're gonna, they're gonna consider it here today, hopefully. And uh, they were really close to passing it, they are not, not passing, they were close to, uh, to not wanting to uh, restrict general public comment in any way because they realized how wrong it was and how ridiculous it was. When we came in and talked about it two weeks ago when we were done talking, you could just hear a pin drop as they sat there in silence trying to figure out, well, shoot, what are we going to say about this? And, and Brad Finkeldye went as far as to agree with me when I said, hey, it ain't us that's holding up your guys' meetings. It's you guys. You guys talk too much. And you in particular, Amber Sellers, you, you talk way too much, way too much, which is amazing how disrespectful you are while everyone else is talking. You sit there with your head up your ass ignoring us. Why? Because we don't don't agree with you because we're on the other side how about have a little bit of respect so I would encourage you guys to pick up where you left off two weeks ago and uh, realize the the error of your ways that you can't you, you, you can't restrict us and if you do it's just gonna cause more problems for you so because of you or one of the reasons uh, I went out and I created a YouTube channel is because of you guys trying to censor us we got to have another platform and that backfired on you guys big time because I you know I got a lot of followers right now and it happened quick and on that on that YouTube channel I, I made a uh, I made a video of, of Courtney Shipley and four weeks ago tonight she made some really racist comments about white people and just imagine if we can't come in here and voice our concerns that you know we got a racist mayor up there and a commission that stands by and lets her make these racist uh, comments against white people you know it just happened to be against white people you said about another race it's a bigger deal and we can't hold you guys accountable that view has, or that video has almost 2,000 views right now I mean you you really stepped in it Courtney and people are really upset about that and the entire commission did as well because you can't do that you can't discriminate against anybody it doesn't matter if they're white it doesn't matter if they're male you can't do that. And Amber Sellers, you, you, have, you remind us every week how you're the victim of, in, in your words, oppression and suppression. And, and here we are talking about this agenda item, and you're trying to suppress the very people that are coming in here to voice their concerns uh, against you. And, and you've been suppressed your whole life. I don't think you know what that word means exactly. But, but anyways, I, I would encourage you guys, uh, you know, let the people speak. You, you guys were going down the right path two weeks ago, realizing how, how, uh, how wrong it was to try and, and restrict us from speaking and how absolutely stupid it was. Because the roles will be reversed. Someday you guys aren't going to be up there and you're going to be out here. And then what? You're not going to be able to come in and talk? You're not going to like it. Any further public comment? I'll just reread something I've already read to you from an unknown author. 
It didn't start with a gas chamber. It started with one party controlling the media, one party controlling the message, one party deciding what truth is, one party censoring speech and silencing opposition, one party dividing citizens into we versus them and calling on their side to harass the others. It started when good people, like some of those here, turned a blind eye and let it happen to their fellow countrymen. I would like to echo about the First Amendment freedom of free speech. Uh, actually, we've just witnessed what free speech means. Uh, there was enough public outrage about the possibility of putting the homeless downtown to where that was put on hold. If, if the public was not allowed to speak, uh, that wouldn't even be up for conversation. And I, I would say 95%, maybe 100% of all the problems we have is because we do not abide by the Constitution of the United States. That starts with your oaths of office, where you swore or affirmed to God that you would uphold the laws of the Constitution of the United States and the state of Kansas. But we just throw it in the waste paper basket and make up our own rules. That's why we are in trouble. Thank you. These godless heathens have no honor. Constitution doesn't mean anything to I just wanted to remind you, um, Amber wasn't here the last time, but when you guys added up the minutes and stuff, the public comments didn't even go over the 30 minutes usually. So it shouldn't be that big of a deal when there's something really important. There's going to be more than 30 minutes worth of people needing to talk and you guys should be listening because that's one of your jobs is to listen to us. Thank you. We don't consent. And when it's important enough, it needs to be heard. You guys trying to select what you're going to shut down is exactly what they're all talking about. You don't like what people say. So you're going to arrest them, spit on them, pull guns on them, throw them in jail, send them through the court system. That shit happens in this damn town. And that's the way it's been treated. And what your fellow commissioner over here is working on, I hope it's pretty damned important because I'm doing a core request to find out because she's doing it on a city computer. And I'll be blasting it. We'll find out what she's working on unless she wants to tell us right now what the hell is so important that she can't listen to her constituents. Sherry, I'll submit the core request. Any further public comment? Your pride and ego is going to be your downfall. Any further outbursts, and I will ask you to leave. Any other public comment in the room? Is there anyone online who has public comment? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't see past the. You're fine. I have never been here. Can you? Can someone help her move it down, or can you see that little button to help you move it down? I'm a little short. There you go. <laughs> um, I just wanted to reiterate a couple points. Uh, it's not one of your guys' job to listen to your people. It is that's the entire job is to understand what your people are going through so that you know how to fix the problem. 
you need to listen to as many people as you can. I don't understand why these things aren't a little more widely advertised. Honestly, you need to hear more of your people's opinions. And with the Constitution thing, I don't know, maybe we've forgotten that if something contradicts the Constitution is unlawful, invalid, and illegal to enforce. I would have liked to think that Lawrence is my hometown, right? That uh, we'd be like progressive and like, you know, sticking to the Constitution and, you know, knowing our rights and things like that. And I don't think I see it anymore. Did you want to give a name? You don't have to, but okay. Any further public comment in the room? Any public comment online? If so, you can raise your digital hand. Uh, there's no public comment. Yeah. All right. Uh, that brings it back to the commission. Any comments, questions? No. All right. I will hear motions. Yep. I'll make a motion. Move to adopt resolution number 7451. Second. I have a first and a second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All those opposed, zero. That passes five to zero. That brings us that brings us to our work session. That brings us to our work session, which is to receive the strategic plan update from unmistakable identity outcome team. Thank you, Derek. Good evening, Mayor, City Commissioners. For tonight's uh, Unmistakable Identity uh, presentation, I'm Derek Rogers, team champion for Unmistakable Identity. We have Roger Steinbrock from Communications and Events um, Unmistakable Identity team. He's going to provide an update on uh, what we've been working on to enhance and streamline to uh, improve the process applying for special events. And with that, I will turn it over to Roger. Thank you. I'm a lefty. Sorry about that. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Uh, I guess I have this presentation. You'll need to share it, too. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for that, Porter. Oops, let me make sure I can do that. All right. Great. I'm not a big PowerPoint person. I just like the oration of, of voice. I think that's more important than anything. But we do have some pretty pictures in here, too, that we uh, have. I'm, in this, oh, I'm doing this really bad. Okay. But a, as Derek said, we are the community, um, the unmistakable identity team. Uh, and the community outcomes have been things that have been before you before. I'm going to try to keep this brief and keep this moving as fast as I can, because I know that you have a lot of other business that you need to take care of. But I wanted to kind of give you an update tonight, like where we've been, where we are now, and where we're going in the future. Uh, where we've been, uh, we've had the special events right-of-way permits. It's been housed in several different places across the city, city clerk's office, the city manager's office, uh, municipal uh, services, public works prior, um, and, and now it's found its home in Parks and Recreation. Uh, it moved here in 2019 uh, to Parks and Recreation. And one of the reasons why I think it's found its home is because many times people rent both the park 
and the street area. They want to use the right-of-way in front of South Park. That's one of the primary places, or they have a parade downtown. And since Parks and Recreation takes care of the streetscape as well as the parks, a lot of times they either end at, at South Park or they start at South Park. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I think it, it it's found its place. So throughout this time in 2019, it was it was handled internal with, by some other people within the department that have since left the department. And so then in 2021, uh, we have um, currently it's been housed with me and, and the division, the marketing division, uh, which now has changed, which we'll get into in a minute. But within this time frame of July of 2021 until about June of last of this year, uh, it's been a solo project of mine. Um, and and, and as, as a communicator, I look at many ways that we communicate with the public and how can we do it better. Um, and because communication is to me the utmost, the most important thing uh, when, you're, when you're dealing with public is so that they understand the process. One of the things that I found out over the time period is that it's complicated. <laughs> Um, between if you're going to have alcohol, there's a there was an ordinance that you had to get created, and I think we've already streamlined that process with with the city clerk Sherry and and Eliza's work as well as the legal staff. I know Randy took time on that and really condensed that so that we only have to have one reading as a resolution now. Um, but in terms of what I found out is we don't have that checklist for people in this time. So what I'm trying to do is build collateral pieces once once we get moving on a little bit with some staff that we've had hired, uh, we'll be making this process more efficient, more effective for not only us internally, but the, ex the external folks as well. One of the other things I found out is that we have a lot of uh, novice event planners, as well as some that are extremely versed in event planning. I would say the St. Patrick's Day Parade folks know what they're doing. Uh, we had a Juneteenth celebration that happened and we had a, a novice person and we, you know, so we have different levels of, of participation with this and we want to make sure that people understand what the process is and help them every, every way we can through that process. So, um, what we what I'm trying to do is really look at streamlining the whole process. And so in June of 2022, we kind of redid the marketing division of Parks and Recreation. We had two other positions, which you probably know about, but the public probably doesn't understand. Uh, we reallocated them to under the special events and communication. So we'll be using uh, these folks for uh, community engagement as well as special events, special use permits for the parks. So all the shelter rentals, the park rentals come through our office and we handle all those those different things that are needed for, for an event. Uh, and, and one of the things I think the pandemic has also brought along is uh, with the use of technology. Uh, before, when people turned in their permit applications, they would turn it into MSO or some other office. And when they got it, they would have to go to all these different locations to, to get the, the resources or the information they need. What I've started doing is holding, once we get the application in, we hold a Zoom teleconference, a virtual meeting with several people from all across the departments of the city and the applicants and, and have a conversation on their application to make sure that everybody's on the same page. I think this is happening, you know, with the bigger events like the Belgian waffle race, which is coming up, that's paramount. We want to make sure that safety is the 
is the fundamental thing that I'm looking at. So police and fire are involved in this conversation. We wanna make sure that the, the fire trucks can get through in a very quick notice if we need to. So we're really going through the process with everybody around the table in a quick order so that the person doesn't have to go find out who they need to talk to. We have everybody around and contact information. But then I become, or our, our, th this office will be the focal point for special events so people know to come here and we get them set out and we'll walk through the process with them throughout the whole event pro planning process. So um, since January of 22, uh, you know, this, that's kind of what I was just talking about, I guess, streamlining the process. But since January of 22, this is where we're going. Um, we've called together people from across departments. So we have people from municipal services as well as planning and development. And, and this is led by, by Derek. And we've been talking about looking at our ordinances and our regulations and trying to streamline the process. What I found out in, in, uh, with one of the applications that came in and the, the food truck festival, it happens on private land, so the right-of-way isn't a part of that. They have to go to planning for that. So it gets very complicated, and I, as a city employee that's been here for 20 years, if I'm confused by it, I can just imagine what the, the citizen is. So we want to streamline all this. So we're looking at the ordinances and the procedures and trying to craft it so that we'll be a one-stop shop for special events, whether it be something that's on private land or in public land, we'll farm it out to the people that need to and get people connected with where they need to go. So that's kind of what we're looking at from this. And we're gonna to try to streamline the process too, where I'm gonna to try to create collateral pieces once I get my staff up to speed on things. And I'll be able to put together those the collateral pieces that will help walk people through the process as well. Um, so there, there's a lot of things, synergy here, and I would commend that it's because of the strategic plan. We've been able to break down silos within our departments and we're reaching across the aisles uh, in other departments and working together as a team like any city should. I mean, and it's not, not anybody's fault that those things happen. Those barriers just kind of develop over time as you well know in any organization. Um, but what we're trying to do is, is create that team concept. So that's the, grouping things together in these different areas is really making a difference. So as an employee for 20 years, I thank you for adopting that, for Craig for leading this, because it's really making a difference in our lives as employees, so thank you for that. Um, but again, as we're working on this process, we're gonna be bringing back the fruits of our labor back to you to approve later on this year. We, we have community engagement that we still need to plan yet with the public to get their input as well as the stakeholders, the event planners, and we're bringing that back to you. But we do, had some, we do have some questions. One of the things we always get from not-for-profits is, are, is there a reduction in fees that we have for non nonprofits? And then also for-profits, we've seen people uh, that bring, have a business or something and they're using in front of their streetscape for a, for a party or something of that nature that brings more business to their thing. Should they have a higher rate? Uh, and then the second question is we have some of the larger events that come in we have right now a 60 to 90 day, well, 60 days is what we, we, we request, uh, 90 days preferred. That's what it says on the application. What we're finding through our review process is that we can probably shorten that time up quite a bit as well because we have handled a lot of small and large events in a very short period of time. So we're trying to figure out what's the best 
time frame for those, those deadlines. Um, but the thing that happens is sometimes we have these larger events come in under that 60-day window, sometimes under the 30-day window, and it puts a lot of stress to the system. And I, I talk about alleviating stress in the system, and I think that when we have workloads as, as employees, we have goals and th projects that we have that we're working on to get done, and then we have someone else coming in, and, and, and it's great that we have events, but then that adds a whole level of stress to the system, especially with when, when we have this, we have to expedite it. So we're wondering if we need to look at expedition fees for, for those, pro, those bigger, larger programs that are really coming in under the wire that we kind of have to shift our focus and shift work to a different, to focus in on, on the event. Because to me, again, it comes back to safety. And we want to make sure everybody's safe and secure within their event and that their event goes off without, without a hitch. So those are our questions that we want to bring back to you uh, before we bring back our, our whole plan for submission to you for approval. Thank you. Thank you. And I open up for questions sure, and or comments. Questions? Go ahead, Commissioner. Thank you, Roger. I have just a, a couple of clarifying questions. Sure. So currently as it stands, do we have a kind of a guide, playbook, something that we share with individuals? All we have is an application, and it's kind of outdated, and it was done through MSO. So I'm looking at putting together a collateral piece with the pictures you've seen up here and making it more user-friendly a lot of times with a step-by-step -step guide uh, that kind of walks them through the process that we're, we're going to be creating. So no, we don't currently have that. And then as a to allude to your the policy question that you have, we only have the one particular fee as it relates, or do we have something that shows a, a fee schedule? Right. Well, in terms that anytime we have a non-for-profit ask, they rent facility space, they rent, they rent parks, they do the right of way. They're always asking, can I get a reduced rate for this? So again, I, you know, those are things that those are policy questions. We have our standard rates that we charge them. So I'm just, we're wanting to see if you would like to see those reduced for folks that are in the nonprofit realm. And then with our, with our universities, and we kind of ex experienced that this year with the celebration, the basketball team, do we have our, in the past or even currently, have we set up contingencies or at least sat down with these entities to say in the event you do something awesome and you want to celebrate with the community, where's your plan? Yes. This is the route. These are the things in place. You know, I, I believe that last year uh, and, and, and I was here for the first one, too, and being a case stater, I, I feel kind of torn by saying that, but rock chalk Jayhawk, you'll only hear me say that now. No, uh, but no, uh, you know, we, we, um, I, I look at the planning for that last parade and every year we, we get together as a city, we have people that start looking at those things early, but I think this has helped the university understand that they need to plan well ahead of. And so I'm thinking in, uh, January and February, we'll probably be contacting them just to kind of get some things in place. And I think they understand that from last year too, uh, just how much work that put in. I don't know, I, 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 I applaud Craig. He was at a lot of those meetings, almost every single one of them, I think, uh, and helped lead that discussion. And I think that's real important uh, that we do the planning. I always call it the dreaded P word because nobody likes planning. Um, and I'm all about planning. 
because that's how you make things very successful. So I, I would say, yes, we will be working with them. Uh, and I hope that they understand that, it, you know, if they've got the amazing basketball team that they continue to do, we need to plan well in advance. All right. Are you planning for football? What me? This fall? <laughs> we will. We good? We will. We will call them tomorrow, Commissioner. Just in case. Make sure it's all. Yes, exactly. I know that's very close to your. <laughs> um, oh, did you have a? No, go ahead. Uh, I had a couple, uh, and the Commissioner Sellers uh, already marked on. Kind of, it seems like you have an idea of putting. You're putting together a flow chart. Correct. For, for the, the lower the barriers of entry for folks. Um, eventually, I was wondering, do you foresee, it seems like from what you were saying, we have those entities like the St. Patrick's Day Parade, like uh, the Christmas Day or Christmas Horse, Horse Parade, entities that have been doing it over and over again. Do you see, foresee like uh, two applications or two entry points, one for like those novice folks that have no i you know no idea or i'm putting sure. together a small event and then one for the larger larger events like the saint patrick's day parade that need logistics right well i i see it as we're trying to streamline to one application so we'll have it all in one okay. but again it's to the level of what they're wanting to do this application will be able to be you know accommodate whichever way they want to go and uh, my final question is, sure. uh, I know you mentioned that uh, sometimes you get the information for those larger events, uh, you know, at a very inopportune time or like right before the event. Right. How often does that happen? I was kind of curious. That's a good question. Um, it happens more frequently than you would think. But, you know, we can accommodate a lot. Um, and, and I just don't want, I mean, I don't want to make it too stressful, but I mean, an event like the Belgian waffle race that takes so much planning. Um, but once we do it once it gets easier because if it's repeated and they use the same course and we, we can figure, you know, again, their work in progress. I always think of everything as a work in progress. We're going to improve from last year to, you know, from this year to ne next year that we're going to do it better. So that, I mean, from that standpoint, it, 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 we can handle them, but at the same time, it is a lot of, I mean, for the different divisions and different departments, it's probably more on the traffic side of things. And again, it comes back down to safety. If I'm having a safety plan, and one of the things I forgot to mention is that this staff that we have, myself and the two others that have been hired, will be MUTCD or MU, I still have to learn the act. We'll, we'll be certified to basically go out and make sure the traffic control devices are in the place where they need to be. Okay. So I don't know acronyms. I'm not good at those. So did I hear that correctly that by the end of the year, you're going to come back with a streamlined process? Is that the goal? I think it says hopefully, doesn't hopefully. it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to try to in every way. I mean, because we still have to do the public engagement. Mm -hmm. And and I know I've got some public engagement already coming up with the Nature Center that's coming up. Mm -hmm. And then Water Tower Park, we'll be talking with that community, too, that we've kind of, you know, said that we're going to be coming back to them. So I'm, I, I'm looking at the process and looking at the calendar, and it's shrinking. So I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we will. Roger, are you finding that some of those, um, some of our organizations that have those annual events, that as soon as that, as soon as that event is done, they're already preparing ahead of time, or, or are you seeing a pattern of, this is, you know, Juneteenth is coming here, 
St. Patrick's Day is, or are you feeling like you need to be proactive and reaching out to them first? Well, one, uh, they're coming back, but one of the things, and I'm glad you asked that question, Amber, or Commissioner Sellers, um, one of the things that we are doing are post wraps with the bigger events, just to kind of go over things with them to say, here's something that we saw that needed changed, or they may say, hey, we needed this or that. And that way we can, again, improve for the next year. Um, and, and because the way we rent things, we do it a year in advance. So if they're gonna rent the park as part of their event, they're gonna need to schedule it. So they'll come in and schedule it, and then they'll be ready for next year. And then we'll, as we get closer to the date, they usually come back. So yes, we are seeing the repeat performances, but we also have a lot of new people and new events that come in all the time. And I think that that's the, that's the good thing. I mean, from the, from the cultural aspect of our community. Um, yes, and we will probably be doing outreach as well to the to the different populations, make sure that, you know, because we do have the mark that, you know, your culture is celebrated in the community. And we wanna make sure that everyone is welcome and that the process is easy and understandable for everybody and that they wanna, you know, if they wanna have an event, we wanna help them. And how do you track that? So how, what, what, how do you track the different events, contacts? Sure, we ha well, we have the applications, and so then I, we have a spreadsheet that we have them on, and so I've got all the data of what, what it is, who's, how many people that attended. Again, those are guesstimates by them if it's a larger event. Um, so we do have that data that we would then be collecting for each one of our events, and the number of rentals, I mean, we can pull that up from the, from the uh, rec track system that we have that we do the transactions in. So, any other questions? Nope. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. your time. Hold on. I got to do public comment. Oh, <laughs> still going to make. Comment. I got to yeah. move away Don't from. Worry, yeah. <laughs> Is there any public comment on this item? Not seeing any. Is there any public comment online on this item? No, Mayor. All right, let's bring back the commission. Any other discussion or uh, direction? I would say um, a couple things. One, um, Malk and Derek, I think that, you know, when I was coming into office, there was a lot of consternation about um, these events and how um, they were being handled and how they're being done. And, and I certainly don't hear that anymore. So appreciate um, the work you've done on that. Um, I would say that, like I said, I think that streamlining is a, is, is a great part of that. You know, I do think um, I've seen a couple times with events that are repeat events, you know, um, but then all of a sudden the person who's working with that nonprofit, you know, let's say it's a 5K, they kind of, step away and a new person comes in to do the 5k and they forget or they don't know what they have to do um and all of a sudden they find out you know they've been planning it for a year and they find out oops we never applied with the city so i do think an idea of a calendar or a spreadsheet where you're reaching out to them in advance um and saying hey last year you you've, you did this. Are you still doing it? And I also think maybe even having that online. I, I've been involved in lots of nonprofits who are trying to figure out, hey, we have a 5K coming up. When should we do it? And all of a sudden they find out there's three 5Ks that weekend or whatever. I mean, you know, maybe having that conversation with them by having that out there, I think would be 
would be helpful. Um, I guess on your policy questions, I mean, I do think if it's, you know, if it's an event that's coming in at last moment, and it, particularly if it's a for-profit event, you know, I, I certainly don't um, object to a, a you know, an, a, a fee that they pay to speed it up. You know, if, if they haven't come in at a certain, uh, you know, certain amount of time and, and they need that. Again, I think, you know, there could be exceptions, you know, again, if it's an event that has been repeated and it's not going to take that much work. But certainly I do think I, I'm not opposed to that. Um, you know, as for, um, I guess, I've never heard, I mean, I, I know nonprofits always ask not to pay, but I've never heard big complaints about that. I think they're using our right of way. Um, and I do think that, you know, I'm not sure we waive it for nonprofits per se. Um, so that's my thoughts on the two policy questions. Any other comments? I think on the on the policy, excuse me, on the policy questions, um, I would be in favor of, of charging a higher price if they come in under a certain, or they're late, if there's a late period that they get this price, if they're on time, they get another price if it's after a certain date of the event. I'd be fine for that. As far as reduced fees, um, and also on the late fee, I would want to apply that equally. Um, for profits versus nonprofits, preferably. And as far as the reduced fee f uh, fee for nonprofits, I'd like to know what um, surrounding communities do in that. If if there's something out there, kind of a general rule of thumb, so to speak, if somebody else is how they're doing it. Okay. Commissioner Sellers. Yeah. Roger, I have a, another quick question. Do you? Do you feel like the the sixty day is a good standard across the board for all projects, or do you feel like some no. don't necessarily need that? No, and, and that's where we're looking at that, and it will be reduced more than likely. Um, we found I, I have found anyway by by taking the process and working with the departments and getting everybody around the virtual table, it, it does flow a lot better for the bigger events. Um, and, and we have a lot of talented event planners in the community, I'll tell you that. So, and what I've tried to do is buddy up when I have a novice putting somebody with somebody that's a seasoned veteran. And I know that SJ has gotten many calls from me and many calls from other folks that were wanting to do parades. Because I think that the St. Patrick's Day, like I said, that's one of those parades that's worked very well. And they have, they have everything together and they run like clockwork. It may not be on the back end, but, you know, I, it looks like it is. Uh, and again, one of the things that I really, I talk about stress to the system. I don't like adding stress to anybody's system. I want the event planner to be at ease as well. And, and I've had to coach them a little bit to say, you know what, things will happen. And you have to roll with it once that event starts. I've done enough event planning in my day uh, with the university where I worked before that, it, you know, you just have to roll with it. And, and it usually comes out just fine. So that's what I try to impart on all the event planners as well. Thank you, Roger. To that point, I, you know, you're headed down the right track. You know, the universal application is definitely the best, you know, the standard and the best practice for this. So you're on, you're, you're going there with that. What I, and you alluded to the idea of a guide book, a playbook. I think that's going to be super helpful to some yeah. of our grassroots organizations, our novice nonprofits who just need that, that soft handoff. Exactly. Say, this is the process. This is the things kind of 
giving them the checklist. You know, some of our our, 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 our seasoned folks will already know that, but it serves as just a good reminder. So exactly. I think having that guided piece to that. To the point about the fees, I want to look at it in, in two different arms. I think one is we look at it from a facility standpoint. I think there's an opportunity there to do re- reduce fees for nonprofits. I'm looking at it from the perspective of our universities. I remember as being a student at KU, you had the union as an option, but some there are other nonprofits and other extensions of organizations on the campus that may not be able to use the campus. And since we're limited by event spaces here that are cost equity for many organizations, I think having that reduced nonprofit rate for some facilities could be a potential way to increase um, usage of a lot of our facilities, of, whether it's for our you know students at KU, students at Haskell, even if we have students that come up from Baker or even other entities. So I would look at the nonprofit reduced rate from a facilities perspective, um, not so much on the um, event piece. To that point, I would say that there could we could do a fee structure, or I'd like to see a fee structure based on event size. Not all events are created equal and there are some that what I'm paying for a smaller gathering or, you know, solidarity or candlelight vigil, you know, that shouldn't equate, you know, that's different than, you know, closing down South Park and parts of, a, you know, mass between 11th and so on and so forth. So maybe looking at it from a perspective of a fee structure, not necessarily based on, um, nonprofit or profit status, but based on the size of the event. And I know there's been some, um, some there's been applications of that in several different municipalities, and those are things that you can look into. So that was one area. So a fee based on size in lieu of uh, nonprofit status. And then um, I guess I had another question or something to consider is, um, do we charge for debris or trash removal? That is, uh, you are asking all the Pertinent questions. One of the things that we are looking at is adding trash cans and receptacles because, again, that's staff time. And, and again, these usually happen on the weekend and we're, we're having to have, uh, you know, staff be there potentially to remove trash. Um, the larger events, we get a rollaway dumpster and, and now they're going, we're, that is assessed back to the, the user as well. So if they're holding an event in South Park and it, it's going to generate a lot of waste, they have to get a rollaway dumpster and we, we, yeah. So those things are, we're looking at those things as well um, as we continue to look at our, our structure of this whole process. Okay. Well, th- those would be my three. So the guidebook, playbook, fees based on size in lieu of nonprofit status, maybe for rental facil- facilities, looking at a nonprofit rate, and then, of course, the a deposit or a charge for debris or trash removal. I had hoped to have the draft of the 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 manuscript and everything, but I haven't even got there yet. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, I would agree um, uh, that uh, maybe not necessarily free, but a reduced rate for nonprofits. And I would also lean a little bit more towards what Vice Vice Mayor Larson said. I'd be curious to see what other municipalities are doing in the area in regard to that. Um, And then uh, also in regards to what the Vice Mayor said regarding uh, the fees, 
uh, having a sliding scale in terms of the immediacy of the event and the planning needed for the event. So if they were able to go ahead and get that, get us that information pretty far out, um, you know, a little bit less, but the closer to the event, maybe we, since it's going to take up so much more staff time and, uh, you know, a lot more staff bandwidth, uh, it might be prudent to go ahead and change that fee as well. Thank you. Any other comments? All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Excellent work. You make it a great night. <laughs> yeah, All right. That brings us to our regular agenda items. Our first is to consider conducting a public hearing for a vacation request submitted by Mark Anderson of Barber Emerson LC to vacate right of way as described as the tract of land in Lake Estate Subdivision 6. Good evening, Mayor, Commissioner. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm a project engineer with MSO, and uh, I'll be leading this right of way vacation item. Um, I think a lot of this is best viewed visually, so I'm going to share my screen here. And so I'm going to just highlight a couple of items that are shown uh, in the agenda packet and kind of walk through the vacation process and what's being requested here. Um, so what you should be seeing now is um, this vacation uh, request exhibit as prepared by um, Mark Anderson. Um, through land plan. Um, as you had stated, he's with uh, the law firm Barbara Emerson, who um, put together the application for staff to review. Um, the right of way that's requested to be vacated is um, uh, was intended to include the roadway that would run east west, which is Yankee Tank Place, uh, and then north south Yankee Tank Drive. And I think that's best viewed um, a couple of plots. Um, so this is an excerpt of a plat uh, Lake Estate subdivision number six that was recorded in 1994. And the area to be vacated is shown here in red. Um, so at that time, uh, there was intended to be a roadway that would go east-west, that again, Yankee Tank Place, uh, and then north-south here. Um, the development plan for this area has been um, modified uh, in the decades that followed. So. Um, Lake Estates at Albemarle number one is shown here. That was recorded in 2009. Um, and then what's excerpted is uh, Lake Estates at Albemarle number two from uh, 2011. Um, and that, what that shows is in uh, lieu of this Yankee Tank place that was proposed, um, what was developed was West 22nd Court which instead of ending with um, a drive to continue south ends uh, in a cul-de-sac with a series of lots from that, from there. Um, and the result has been this T-shaped right-of-way um, that again was intended to be contiguous in 1994, but with subsequent development has been isolated. Um, so the roadway improvements as well as um, potential utilities that may have access to this right-of-way for potential development um, that's not really feasible in the way things have um, have been played out through the platting actions that have taken place in subsequent years. Um, and so as part of the right-of-way vacation process, um, what city staff has done is we've reviewed this application. Um, we've sent it to our utility department, uh, our utility partners, those being um, Evergy, Black Hills, um, among other franchisee owners. Um, as well as sent the uh, notice of this public hearing in the journal world and to property owners within 400 feet. 
Um, and so through those various reviews, we've not um, received any objections to the vacation request. And for that reason, we're rec recommending um, approving the order of vacation as presented this evening. Um, Mark Anderson is on the call if you have any questions for him, um, but otherwise I will stand for any comments or questions you may have. Any questions? I think we're all still looking at your maps. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. All right. Let's make sure there's no public comment on this item. Doesn't look like it. Is there anyone online who would like to make public comment? There's no public comment. All right. I do just want to make sure, Mr. Anderson, are you good? Do you have anything you'd like to say? I'm here to answer questions if you have any. Otherwise, I think Chris did a great job laying out uh, this how this remnant of right-of-way came to exist. Uh, it serves no public purpose, uh, and it creates a liability, premises liability issue for the landowners because they have no insurable interest in the city's right-of-way, so they can't get CGL insurance coverage on this property. And the only way to get CGL coverage is to vacate the right-of-way, which is what we're asking the city commission to do. Thank you. Thank you. All right, let's bring back to the commission. Any questions, comments, discussion? Seems straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, with that, I will entertain any motions. I'll... Um move to approve the order of vacation to vacate right away as described as a track of land in lake estates a subdivision number six in the city of lawrence douglas county kansas containing 0 0.85 acres more or less second i have a first and second all those in favor aye, aye. all those opposed that passes five to zero all right that brings us to our Second item on our agenda, um, consider approving our request to rezone Z-22-00216, approximately 3.4 acres from RS7 to RM12, multi-dwelling residential. Uh, I don't see Kyle in the room. Are you, are you online, Kyle? I'm participating via Zoom. Thank you, Mayor. Mm -hmm. Cal Covey with planning. Um, uh, as just stated, this is a proposed rezoning from RS7 single dwelling residential to RM12D multi-dwelling residential district. The area proposed for rezoning encompasses approximately 3.4 acres and is about, it's roughly the southern half of the existing property as shown in figure two of the staff report. The density and dimensional standards are very similar between the existing and proposed districts. The differences are in the minimum lot area, which will go from 7,000 square feet to 6,000 square feet. The rear setback, which goes from 30 feet to 20 feet. Maximum building coverage area uh, will change from 45% to 50%, and the maximum impervious coverage area from 70% to 75%. There are a few use differences between the existing and proposed districts. The primary difference, though, is that duplexes are permitted in the RM12 district. Detached dwelling uses are also permitted in the RM12D district, um, but multi-dwelling structures, which is any structure with three or more dwelling units, are not permitted in the RM12D district. Several goals from Plan 2040 are noted in your staff report. 
All the ones noted in general pertain to accommodating or encouraging a variety of infill housing options where infrastructure is already in place. Staff finds that the proposed rezoning is in line with the goals of the comprehensive plan. The applicant has provided a concept plan, which is included in your staff report, figure one. Uh, that shows the potential amount and configuration of lots at this location. Uh, this was used to evaluate the general intent of the proposed rezoning, but I just want to note that it is a concept plan. It's not set in stone. It's for reference only. The amount and configuration of lots would be determined, determined during the platting process. If the rezoning is approved, the next step in development would be a major subdivision application. This process is where much more detail begins to come into focus. The major subdivision process involves a preliminary and final plat. The preliminary plat would come through the planning commission. While the final plat is reviewed administratively, it does require going to city commission if there are any dedications of easements or rights of way. During the planning process, we'd be evaluating the amount and configuration of the lots, street access, easements, and utilities. This is the stage where other components such as a traffic impact study or drainage study or other related studies would come into play. Building permits would follow after the platting process has been concluded and the final plat has been recorded with the register of deeds. Um, as noted in your staff report, um, staff is recommending approval of the request to rezone from RS7 to RM12D based on the findings presented in the staff report. Um, and on August 24th, 2022, Planning Commission heard the item and after discussion voted 5-3 to recommend approval to the City Commission. A protest petition was filed following the Planning Commission meeting after review, the petition was found to be valid as outlined in the memo attached to the agenda item. Since the protest petition is valid, approval of this rezoning request requires four affirmative votes. Um, that is the end of my presentation. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have, and I believe the applicant is there in the room. Um, hold on, Kyle. I do want to make sure we do our ex parte communications. Um, and I hope Randy's on there. Uh, does anyone have any ex parte communications? No. no. Um, I received a phone call from one of the neighbors, and I'm sorry, I missed her first name. Last name was Martin, who lived in the neighborhood. Um, and I also talked briefly to Roger Johnson, but um, the concern was about traffic and um, water and zoning. And so I think it's all in the staff report and will be covered tonight. I, I had no ex parte communication. None. Um, I, as far as I know, I received all the same emails you all did. Um, I will tell you that um, this is directly across the street from my house. Um, so whether I liked it or not, some of my neighbors spoke to me. Uh, my direct neighbors um, are um, Phil and Thomas, um, and kind of in the cul-de-sac, um, Karen Roberts, and um, actually I've never met the other woman you spoke to, Kristen, is that it? Um, and someone did text me. I did not respond because I didn't think it was appropriate, but um, I do want to clarify something with um, Randy, um, just for the record, if he's on here. Yes, Mayor, hey, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Hey, Randy, I want to make sure that I am I'm very clear and vigilant that um, the reason I am able to weigh in on this as an immediate neighbor 
is that I don't have any stake in the land or stand to increase gain money or value. Am I accurate in understanding the rules of Kansas? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Absolutely, yes. You do not have a conflict of interest under the state statutes uh, just because a property near you or across the street from you is being rezoned. That does not create a conflict of interest for you under state law. Thank you, Randy. And I would say other commissioners here have weighed in on things in their neighborhood, so I don't believe it's in consent with um, the example that's been set for me by other commissioners. So, um, Randy, do you feel that I've been sufficient in my clarity? Yes, uh, this ring is the city attorney. And regarding some of your neighbors' communications with you, might uh, might be a good idea to give maybe like the tenor of it, what it was, so that people all have the same information from which to make the decision. Oh, um, I believe they're the same comments that were in. I think all of those people had correspondence. So I think it was the same as they were expressing in their correspondence. Um, and obviously I did not sign the petition. I had nothing whatsoever to do with the, the petition. I didn't see it till it was in our correspondence. This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. If what they communicated to you is in the record for everybody to look at and make the base their decision, then that is all you need to say. All right, thank you so much, Randy. Um, let's go ahead and continue then everyone. Um, unless you have any questions for Kyle, I'll uh, welcome the applicant. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. David Hamby, VG Consultants, representing the applicant. Um, I just want to say thanks to city staff. I appreciate Kyle's work on this project, and we've worked um, quite hard on it, along with uh, planning commissioners and, and now the city commissioners, so I appreciate that. Um, I just want to briefly hit over some of the project facts. Some of this you've heard before, but I wanted to just reiterate those. This project is an infill project. Infill projects, as you know, are typically difficult, and primarily that's just because uh, you have a lot of neighbors surrounding, and it's different than a greenfield project. Um, greenfield projects are harder to come by these days. So I just wanted to point out that. And, and as a note, uh, it's been made before, but through Plan 2040, the city has prioritized infill projects. That's, that's been a stated goal of the city commission. So this is meeting one of those goals. Um, this, this piece of ground is a privately owned piece of ground. It's not a, a piece of city park ground. So uh, the owners decided that they, don't no, they no longer need it. And so they've offered it to sale to the applicant. Uh, the rezoning request has been um, supported by the planning staff, recommended for approval. Planning Commission voted on it and approved it as well, and so they're sending it as a recommending body to the governing body to make a decision. And uh, this, this commission has requested projects with a higher density than typically has been seen before, and so that's, that's the reason for the uh, RM12D zoning district that's requested. Uh, this project will consist of 12 to 13 duplexes. So uh, that just gives you an idea. It's no apartments. It's 12 to 13 duplexes, which is you know, 24 to 26 living units. Uh, the concept plan, uh, which Kyle didn't show, but it's in your packet, shows two new parking areas near the church building. That was done previously just to show the, the church what it would look like to replace the parking that's there. There's no immediate plan to, to replace the parking that, that would be removed. And so, um, and, and even if the church decided to build that later, uh, they would have to go through the site plan process, which involves the stormwater reviews and, and all of that thing that, that goes with that as well. Um, 
As you know, there's a documented shortage of residentially zoned lots in the city. Um, this is uh, trying to, to address that need as well. Uh, I've read each one of the, the public comments that were submitted. There's quite a few of them. Some of them are duplicates from the last meeting. But they note that there is a public or that there is a, a stormwater problem in the area. And so um, we understand that. And um, I understand they want that issue to be addressed. And um, however, unless this rezoning is approved or they undertake the problems themselves, it's not going to go away. It's not going to be addressed. This project, through the preliminary plat process, will involve a stormwater study. That stormwater study will result in a reduction of stormwater as part of this project. The city staff will not approve a project that increases the stormwater runoff. And there's a high likelihood that we can actually make the situation better by providing some pipes or interception of stormwater and, and make it better. So that's, that's what uh, this project could bring is, is a, a help to those neighbors that are having a stormwater problem and, and afraid of a, a bigger problem as well. Uh, this project proposes five duplexes that front on 13th Street and there's seven to eight duplexes that would access Castle with a new road. And Castle uh, Drive, which you know is a principal arterial street, and it's designed to accommodate any traffic this project would generate. Um, as you can see, it's, it's not going to significantly inc increase the traffic on Castle, and it won't significantly increase the traffic on Jonathan Drive or Janet Drive. Uh, provided this rezoning is approved, the next step, as Kyle mentioned, is a preliminary plat, and the preliminary plat is a public hearing item. That's where the stormwater study will be addressed, the traffic impact study, and the downstream sanitary sewer analysis. These are all reviewed by city staff. Um, it'll go to planning commission for a public hearing item as well, and then it'll be back to, to um, the governing body uh, as a final plat. At this point, I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Any questions? Uh, just a couple questions. And Maybe this one Kyle can answer, but I assume you can too as well. Is, will this require a traffic study, this yes. particular one? So we will so, have a traffic study. Correct. The, the, the base level of traffic study is a seven-step minor traffic impact study. Okay. And depending on the amount of traffic that's generated, depends on it whether it goes up to a higher level as well. And I know we're in the, in the concept phase, um, but curious if you, if you know that from the applicant, I mean, obviously duplexes can be varied from two bedroom, you know, one bedroom duplexes to four bedroom duplexes. Any idea on the, on the lot size, what kind of duplexes these would be? So the applicant is here, if, if you wanted to speak, I think you previously said possibly three bedroom? Yeah, three. So possibly two to three, th two to three bedroom, depending on the, the size of the lots. That's all the questions I have. Will these be owner occupied? Um, I understand that you will establish an HOA, if I remember from um, the Planning Commission. Um, so I kind of wondered why, and I, I realize that it's not um, a firm plan, I wondered why um, uh, create a cul-de-sac that would be the city's responsibility um, if you were holding an HOA. So the, the private streets are, are kind of a tricky aspect with city planning staff. Um, private streets typically aren't allowed unless you have a planned development. And because we're going through the platting process, uh, a private street would not be permitted in that situation. 
Any other questions? Uh, yeah, it's a uh, end. I think uh, I just wanted to make sure that the amount of housing on the property itself is determined partially, I think, by the right of way that would, would be needed to um, be taken up, right? And then 20%, from what I remember? Well, so the way we typically lay out a subdivision is, is we start with the piece of ground, figure out the size of the lots the developer wants to, to put in, and then you, you lay that out, and depending on where you have access and frontage, and then the required right away, then that, that basically dictates how many lots you get. Okay. And so that's where we're at the 12 to 13. Okay. Um, the cul-de-sac takes up quite a bit of space, but it's needed for turnaround. So we're looking at a couple options there, but generally we're, we're very tied in that site to that 12 or 13 number. Okay. Any other questions? Um, uh, would you like to speak or do you feel happy? Uh, I just some very sure. You know, first of all, I want to thank you guys for hearing this this evening, and I don't want your job. <laughs> I really don't. You know, first of all, I just I just want to let the neighbors know that I'm aware of their issues, the traffic, the drainage, and the idea that this ground has been a park for a long time. You know, the, the city has put us in a little circle, so now we're doing the infill projects, which is difficult for us, and it's difficult for the neighbors. I would, I would say this is my, my favorite place to develop it in these little confined areas, but this is where we're forced. If Lawrence is going to grow at all, then, then we'll do this for a while. You know, the project I'm trying to create here is the retirement community. I want to older people, retired people who are downsizing, that, that's the people I want to create with the maintained, you know, we'll do exterior maintenance and yard snow removal. That's what we have here. Um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I'm not going to put something up here that I'm ashamed of. I'm really not. You know, I want to keep doing this and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm going to do something and then not do it. You know, I'd like to really address the, what the neighbor says. The density, you know, we're asking for 24, maybe 26 units total. I could ask for 40, and I'm not. I'm just about half of what, you know, we could really do here. The traffic, you know, I can't deny that there'll be more cars, but I don't think it's substantial. We're not going through any neighborhoods. We're basically going right back out on Castle. So I hope that's not that bad. You know, and I've heard a lot of complaints on Reddit. People are concerned that we're going to decrease the values of their home. You know, I can understand this issue. And we're not building low income or student housing. We're building a full maintenance retirement type community. That's my goal here. You know, in my years of experience here, there's no proof that the values of homes drop with new construction. And if there's proof showing this to be true, I would like to see it. But with my experience, their actual values around you go up. The drainage, I understand the drainage people, the drainage problem here and the cause, you know, we will be addressing the drainage issues, and I think we can alleviate quite a bit of the issues. I can't guarantee we'll be able to repair it all, 
but we can take care of a lot of it. And I am personally, personally working with the ch church to help them with their drainage issues too and combine their drainage problems with ours. And so I think besides my property that I want to buy, I can help with the church runoff too and put it all underground and, and, and help. You know, I don't think it's a hindrance. You know, I guess my only request tonight is just please make a decision. Either approve it or deny it, and then this is over. And I'll answer any questions anybody has. Thank you. Any questions? Um, I might have one just residual for Kyle, just so I don't have to scroll through the packet because I'm pretty sure I saw it in there. Um, in the use table uh, for for the, or the current zoning, what are all the possibilities? Um, I, I understand that duplexes are allowed in the new zoning, but are, is pretty much everything else in the use table the same? Yeah, Coco with planning, the, the things that you're noting from the staff report in that table are the just the ones that are changing. Any uh -huh. other use uh, is the same between the two districts. There's quite a bit of overlap between them. So I just noted the ones that are different. And in some cases, really the, the difference is that it requires an SUP in one, but not the other. So any other use uh, is carried over between the two. So one line of questioning that I, I didn't quite feel got finished in the planning meeting was about um, uh, old folks homes, perhaps like the Presbyterian Manor that's there on the corner, um, that would be possible in the space of the current zoning. In the current zoning, no, I think that that would, that is used, that would be classified as extended care facility general. So that would be something that would be permitted under the RM12D standards, but is not permitted under the RS7 standards. Okay, thank you. I have a question about stormwater. Is a Matt Bond on? Somebody from that department? No. Is Mike Wallace? Is Mike? Well, Mike Wallace. Mike. Mike. Yes. <laughs> Could you explain um, what what is entailed in the stormwater study to to alleviate the um, possibly you know at least take care of some of those stormwater issues? What what sort of measures they, they the developer would have to meet in order to address those? So Mike Lawless, Deputy Director for Municipal Services and Operations. So what they'll be looking for is um, what is the the amount of water running off the site at the current time, and then how much additional water is added with the development. And then I believe that the requirements are that it stay at um, the level that it is prior to the development. Um, I may be wrong on that. There, it may be, um, uh, I, I would have to double check that, but I think that's the correct, I think that's correct. When they do the modeling of this, what um, level of storm event do they model it to? Um, so they would do, um, uh, I believe, a 10-year model for the enclosed system, and then we would look at um, a 100-year 
event to see where the water goes. You know, how does it route um, and where would the water go, um, you know, once the once the 10 year storm has filled the system. Okay, so will it take into account some of the issues we've been facing the last few years regarding the intense, intense nature of some of the storms and the frequency of the storms that we've been receiving of recent years? Well, that's one of the, uh, Mike Lawless, Deputy Director for uh, MSO, that's one of the things that we're looking at um, with uh, the project that Matt and um, Nick are working on with the uh, asset ID for stormwater system. They're also looking at um, updating the criteria for uh, stormwater runoff and the sizes of storms um, that we're looking at, depending on where the development is, what type it is, um, and what the surrounding area is like. So I think we'll have that presentation, I believe it is on the 17th. It may be uh, either the 11th or the 17th, the 18th. Um, there will be a presentation on um, the stormwater uh, project that that they're working on, and that will be one of the things that we that we take a look at. So, if I understand correctly, the stormwater study will require, or the results of that will be that the developer will have to essentially provide a system such that there's a net zero increase in the amount of runoff to these um, adjacent neighborhoods. Is that what I'm hearing? I believe that is correct. Um, I will need to check that with, with Matt tomorrow and verify, but I believe that is correct. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry, I, I, I do have a couple other questions and this might be best for you first, Mr. Hamby, but um, 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 the city's been working with some churches um, and using their extra land for affordable housing. You haven't really mentioned affordable housing this evening very much, but I think you did kind of bring it up a little, or, or you did, um, at the planning commission meeting. I just had wondered, was the church, or were you aware that these were um, things that the city's been working on with other nonprofits to use their extra land um, to help not just with infill, but with um, affordable housing issues? Uh, in a roundabout way, I've, I've been aware through the annexation rezoning that we had some previous conversations about affordable housing. Um, this one, we haven't had those same conversations about that as well, so. Did you have any comments that, as far as you know, the church may not be aware of that or, or you did not think that would be something you could do? Uh. You know, I don't know anything about what the church did. I can tell you what I'm I have. Oh, sorry. We, we're having a hard time hearing you. Okay. Sorry. Sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the church did. I can tell you what I have done as a developer in Lawrence. I give tenants to homeowners 15 acres at uh, 15th and the bypass. Mm -hmm. And that, if you look at that, it's probably 50, 60, 70 lots that I've give to them to help with the stuff I want to do to help offset that. I, I appreciate that. I just wanted to also be sure that, you know, sometimes nonprofits don't know these um, kind of new programs, pretty new. Mm -hmm. They don't know about it. And I, I felt there was perhaps an opportunity for them to use that as part of their mission, not nothing to do with you, right. um, but but just that they have that opportunity and that knowledge. 
makes no difference in, <laughs> in uh, what goes on here. I just was very curious if that was a program they were aware of. Any other questions? Okay, let's go ahead and start on our public comment. Uh, anyone who has any public comment will, uh, I do see some people online, but we'll start with the people in the, in the room here. So if you have any public comment, just come forward. You will have three minutes. Try your best. Hi, first of all, I wanted to thank everybody for the opportunity to provide public comment and the emails. It, it makes us feel really good that you want to listen to us. My name is Steve Menel. I live on Harvard. I am three doors east of the church. Um, one thing I want to clarify, when you hear drainage problems, with these big rains, there are torrents of water coming down the hill from the church east. So when I bought my house and we had one of those five-inch rains, I looked out in my backyard and there's just a river coming down my backyard picking up rocks and mulch and, and eroding my property. Uh, my neighbors... Uh, two doors and one door from the church on the east are having their homes ruined right now by the water problems and the, and the foundation. So um, last time uh, we heard from the developer that maybe they could help with some of the existing water issues. It wasn't a real strong, we're going to help the church with the existing water issues. It was a, a maybe we could help. So that didn't make any of us feel very good. And you're talking about perhaps adding another parking lot. I know it's being discussed, but adding more parking to the existing footprint for those of us east, and that's people east on Harvard, Jana Drive, Jana Court, and Lawrence Avenue who have this torrent of water coming down at them. When I walk up the hill from my house, there is nothing that stops the water from coming straight down east of the church downhill through my neighbor's property and into my backyard. So I've spent probably $10,000 addressing that. My one neighbor has spent $30,000 trying to keep her home from being ruined. So for me, this is not an issue of duplexes. It may be an issue of where duplexes are located and whether that's the right property considering the drainage issues. But those of us with the existing problems are terrified that the church may end up putting another new parking lot on the existing footprint. So from my standpoint, anything that's done needs to address, again, drainage is not the right term for the water that comes down the hill, not only in the new footprint, but in the uh, existing footprint. We need help with that. Uh, I'm shocked that nobody sued the church. I've only lived here seven years. People have been dealing with the water for 25, 30 years. I'm surprised nobody sued the church. I would tell you that I walked around petitions, talked to probably 50, 50 neighbors. Not a single one supported this. And it primarily wasn't an issue of duplexes. It was an issue of water. And it was an issue of feeling like this is for single family housing. So if you're going to talk to your neighbors in this area, there's no support for it. And I, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. My name's Tom. Is this on? Yeah. My name's Tom. I live at 1109 Jana Court, directly east, down the hill from Christ Community Church. And I will say everything, I will reiterate everything that Steve said, uh, water, I've lived there 23 years, and every time it rains, there's a water runoff. 
every, every year. And I don't know what, uh, not to mention traffic, not to mention noise, but just the water is, is unbelievable. Um, Steve and I worked together to, to uh, dam up, quote unquote, dam up his property along my line and the water still runs, runs and runs and runs. And I don't see any kind of resolve. So anyway, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, my name is Rochelle and I just wanted to offer a possible solution to this issue is um, if you redefined a church in order to get its nonprofit like tax break um, as to be required to have their doors open to anybody anytime 24/7 like no more locks on the church doors basically um, and then maybe not you know uh, one what that would do is you know take a lot of burden off the homeless shelters and the affordable housing acts and stuff because you could stay at the church and get your life together a little bit and then have your own thing going on um, and then uh, with the water issue that they're going on, like you guys, well, we're not going to touch it, but you guys can go, you know, fix their, you know, sewer, like drainage problem for them because it's a church, so everybody gets to have a say in it, kind of thing. I don't know how the le legislation is worded currently about like how what a church is like needs in order to get their tax break, but I feel like that should be part of it. Thank you. Any other public comment? Um, there's a cell phone here. I don't know whose it is. Uh, my name is Jill Beringer, and I live in the neighborhood on Jonathan Drive. So I'm not downhill. I am right next to oh, about a stone's throw uh, south of the property. Um, I have a different concern, slightly different concern. Uh, the water runoff is really hideous and I, I see it out my front door too. Um, but my problem is 13th Street is very narrow and today if anyone parks on that street it forces the same facing traffic to swing out into 13th in the opposing lane and go around any parked car. This happens infrequently currently, but if those duplexes are built with um, egress onto 13th, uh, we envision the parking lines of cars along 13th Street that will cause drivers to have to take turns moving up and down the street as they dodge parked cars. That's a dicey prospect as not all drivers are equally courteous. The situation becomes even more hazardous as you near the intersection of 13th Street and Castle Drive. Northbound drivers on Castle who are turning east onto 13th do not have a clear vision of opposing traffic on 13th. And if drivers coming westward on 13th are in the process of passing a parked car at the same time as someone is turning onto 13th Street from Castle, you will have a potential collision. It's clear to me that if the duplexes will have access by 13th Street, then there needs to be no parking signs along the north side of 13th Street 
to ensure safety. I say this with the full realization that if the new residents cannot park their cars in front of their homes, that they will park along Jonathan Drive, that's right where I live, instead impacting our neighborhood severely and I think lowering the value of our properties. Um, an alternative and preferred solution would be to widen 13th Street for the portion which will have the duplexes as part of the developer's requirements. Preferably, of course, I would like the green space here to be preserved as parkland or as a neighborhood garden, but um, I know we need to have progress, so these are my concerns from safety point of view. By the way, this is where uh, the helicopter that needs to land if there needs to be an extrication of a severe medical case. That's where they land and that won't be available anymore. Right, thank you very much. Thank you. Any further comment? Yeah, uh, yeah. My name is Gary uh, Bjorg. I live at uh, on Janet Drive. Um, I just uh, uh, I sent uh, emails to uh, all of you and expressed my my concern about the uh, the, the principle involved here of just uh, ignoring uh, earlier plans that were made uh, where this was zoned uh, for the uh, s single uh, single dwellings and uh, home or houses were built homes were purchased with that uh, uh, zoning uh, plan in in effect so now uh, th there's a proposal here to change the uh, zoning for this and I'm just uh, you know concerned about the uh, the principle of easily kind of discarding the uh, previous zoning uh, because then it really means that uh, anybody uh, can kind of think, well, maybe uh, the zoning uh, next to my house uh, could be uh, changed too, and who knows uh, what, what could go on there. Um, I wa there was a couple of things that uh, that I, I'm concerned about. Uh, I think uh, uh, Commissioner Sellers asked the question about owner occupied. Would these be owner occupied? Who is that? Oh, oh, oh uh, pardon me uh, for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We look alike. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if there's a guarantee that uh, you know once someone buys a, a duplex that uh, they will be occupying that duplex. I don't. I don't. I don't think that's in law. Uh, so what's the guarantee that owner occupied means anything? Um, also, um, this issue of the uh, you know, parking that was mentioned. Now, okay, theoretically, uh, the uh, developer said, well, I could have three-bedroom duplexes with uh, the 26 units, which would be 78 bedrooms. And if you went to two bedrooms, it's fifth, or with the two bedrooms per duplex, that's 52 bedrooms. And you just think about uh, the number of cars that could be, uh, let's say, associated with that many bedrooms. Um, and, and that brings up the issue of, uh, is there any guarantee that these units could not become uh, student housing? You know, uh, we've got, uh, 
uh, parents that buy uh, houses for their uh, students and uh, and their students live in those houses. Uh, what if uh, someone, an old man or an old woman, uh, th as the developer said, this was going to be an old folks home uh, or old folks, uh, uh, let's say, area, but even uh, old folks could buy something uh, for a grandchild and right. you end up with, uh, you know, student housing. So uh, those are con uh, concerns of mine. And also the plan 240 uh, or 2040, um, you know, exceptions can be made to plans. Um, density is not a holy word. Um, infill is not a holy word. Uh, plan 2040 is not a holy uh, concept. Thank you. I apologize. Your time is up. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Debbie Fuller, and I live at 1104 Jana, and my driveway is kind of the bottom of as Jana comes downhill, and I give us a three to four inch rain, and there's like a six foot uh, wide river run down there. My driveway is eaten out, the curb is all the way gone, there's a big hole in the street, um, and I've asked the street people to fill it in, they will not. I, we filled it in with asphalt before, but it lasts, you know, a year, and then it washes back out again. And, you know, everybody's gone from Castle to Lawrence down Harvard. It, it's a big, steep hill. Water goes downhill. If you go to the top of the hill and you put cement and asphalt, there's going to be a lot more water. That's just common sense. Further comments? My name is Diane Meyer, and I live at 1321 Jonathan Court. I agree with everything that's been said. I definitely have concerns, as Jill does, about the parking and the neighborhood in terms of that. Of course, the water runoff is significant, and I know the builder has good intentions. I don't doubt his sincerity at all. But we have no idea who's going to live in those apartments. We're very close to KU, so the idea that there won't be students there is pretty inconceivable. And then the other thing is, this will just irrevocably change our neighborhood. And we live there. Any further comments? My name is Christine Johnson, and uh, our, my neighbor, Steve, who spoke earlier, and myself, not sure how it happened, but we took on circulating the petitions to everyone in the 200-foot the uh, radius, I guess you'd call it, or buffer. Uh, we had... Uh, 45 people, we covered, uh, instead of just 20% of the land that needed to be represented, we had like 79%. We felt like it was, and we also 
had then 37 people living beyond the 200 feet also sign to um, protest and ask you not to approve this. Uh, we didn't talk to anyone who didn't want to prevent this. Um, you've heard all the reasons. I haven't heard any that um, I don't fully support that those would have a negative impact. And I guess overall, I would um, disagree with the conclusion by the applicant and the planning um, department that this will not detrimentally affect the neighborhood. It will. I just think that that's pretty clear. Um, I do think it will make a traffic problem. Don't know how familiar you are with the area, but the best way to get to this, these proposed um, duplexes is going to be on Harvard and Jana and 13th, or Lawrence Avenue, Jonathan, or Jana and 13th. That's a lot of traffic. Three bedrooms at um, in 24 residences is 72 off-street parking requirement, more concrete. So, and there's no requirement that those cars stay off of the streets and they've got to get there. We just don't have a lot of traffic weaving their way through that area. Um, so it, I, I guess it would be important in my mind to at least acknowledge that there absolutely is a big change to the area. I also think Plan 2040 calls for um, unique industrious ways to come up with new open space in, in the city. And I would uh, suggest that that might be a good consideration for this area. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any further public comment? Hello. My name is Robert Hammersmith. Uh, my wife and I have lived in Lawrence since 1979. Uh, we just purchased the residence at 3309 West 13th last year. We enjoyed the neighborhood because it was quiet. We're old, okay? And uh, putting in uh, duplexes is going to be noisy. And, you know, I understand that the Christ Church can sell their property, but putting duplexes on that property is not the right answer. This is a single-family area. And to be a good neighbor, they would put in the single family, but they're not being a good neighbor putting in the duplexes. Thank you. Any further comments? Please come forward. You all right? Okay, let's look online. I did see at least one person. Ron, Ron Gacious. Hi, my name is Ron Gacious, and um, I have been a member of the city's Affordable Housing Advisory Board 
for um, this is my fifth year. I am not, I say, I am not speaking on behalf of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. I am speaking only on behalf of myself. Um, my opinion is informed by the work that I've done with the city's Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Uh, I'm here in full support of this rezoning request. This proposal is exactly the kind of project that was envisioned when the city developed and approved Plan 2040. It relies upon increased density and an infill opportunity to put 24 new housing units on the ground in Lawrence, Kansas. These are desperately needed units. We have an inadequate supply of buildable lots. Um, the request to put a duplex or twin home on each of these lots, I think is absolutely reasonable. The, um, uh, and, and we should be encouraging other builders and other developers to do the same with at least a portion of their projects so that we can have an increased number of units in the available space. Um, the uh, concerns have been expressed about water drainage, and it sounds like there are some significant water drainage problems that already exist in the area. This development should be viewed as an opportunity to address those problems. Uh, there's no reason that the city should approve a plan that makes the water problems worse. So the city should be looking for opportunities to address some of those water drainage problems with this project. Um, I think several of the other concerns that have been expressed about, well, we just don't know who it is that's going to be moving into these uh, units. Um, that, that argument is frankly of concern to me. These are our neighbors. The people that will be moving into these units are very likely already here in Lawrence. They are our fellow Laurentians looking for a more affordable, more sustainable, more modern housing availability. We know from the survey work we did four years ago that there is a tremendous unmet need for rental units in the two and three bedroom size for seniors particularly, but for families also. Um, I view it very unlikely that each of these proposed new bedrooms would house I'm an adult driver. Thank you very much. I urge your favorable consideration of this rezoning request. Thank you. Is there anyone else online? No, Mayor. All right, let's bring it back to the commission. I did have, do you have a question? Yeah, go ahead. I'll go, I'll, okay, you go ahead. I have two questions, <laughs> two questions that came to mind after I um, listened to the audience. Um, I just want to make sure I, I'm clear that this, this vote tonight only deals with the south half of that property. Is that correct? And, and the reason I'm asking that is because I'm seeing on the north side, they've got a proposed parking area. This vote tonight has nothing to do with that parking area. Is that correct? I'll go with planning as the rezoning request is for the southern half of the property. Okay, just wanted to double check. 
then um, there was a question that came up about the parking, uh, not the parking, but the traffic study and the potential for looking at that north side of 13th Street as to whether that would turn into a no parking area. Uh, will the traffic study look at that? Is that part of that process? Be addressed during the platting phase. Um, you know, the width of streets and things like that is a just a typical thing that's examined. But I'm not sure if widening of the street would come into play there or not. I didn't ask about widening the street. Just it, it will the no potential for no parking on that north side be looked at. I would imagine that's something that would be examined. I would just through our municipal services and operations staff. Or I see Jeff has um, signed in. Good evening, Commissioners. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Yeah, as part of the planning process, we do look at the streets and those configurations. So if it's street does warrant a no parking sign or other uh, other factors that plays into that, that would be reviewed as part of the planning process with the traffic studies. Thank you, Jeff. Can I just follow up on that for either Jeff or Kyle? So when this is platted, obviously we're platting you know, the southern half, but the northern half is platted too. Is there any requirements on the northern half when they plat? Does it trigger anything when we, we plat the northern half? Does it, is it triggered? Kyle, could we with planning this application wouldn't, uh, it would impact that the northern half in that, you know, it would essentially slice off the, the southern half of the existing lot, but it would not constitute like a, a replat per se in the same way. We'd be looking at the area that's proposed for rezoning because that's where the, the new development would come into play. Um, I think the applicability of the, the northern half would be when and if development was proposed there. We would take a look at that um, just based on the scope and the scale of what's being proposed at that time. Um, Kyle, uh, just to follow up on Vice Mayor Larson and Commissioner Finkel, I in the line of questioning, uh, kind of following up on one of the audience, audience members' question. Uh, I think specifically it was regarding the potential, I know it, it's not planned in the northern half, the parking lot uh, that they, they, they were concerned about. If the church was to put that in, that would in fact probably trigger um, sort of a, a new look at drainage and stormwater and all sorts of things, right? Or would that be large enough to do that? How could we be planning again? It, it would depend on the scale of uh, how much impervious service is being proposed, you know, relative to the overall site, relative to what's already there. We'd be taking a look at whatever is proposed. Um, there are certain thresholds that once you cross them in terms of like land disturbance or a change to the use that triggers an increased level of review. Um, it's hard to, to know for certain at this time, but whatever is proposed would get the, the full weight of the of the code depending on what's being proposed. I know that that's not a direct answer, but right now there's, it's really hard to say um, what all would go into that review. But at minimum, we would be looking at what is being proposed. Yes. Commissioner Little, John, if I, if I may, Kyle is kind of right. The one thing I would add is it's going to be dependent upon the level of site planning that the code would apply to the possible parking lot that is installed at the north. So if the parking lot does require certain thresholds, it may require you know, a standard site plan, which only looks at improvements that are in the area that is being touched by the development or being touched by improvements that are going on. 
if it does cross the threshold into what's called a major site planning process and the whole site is looked at for review for code compliance. So it just depends on the scope of work that they put forward as part of that that would then be driven by the codes. But any of the improvements would be looked at as part of the administrative site planning process. Um, I, a few numbers were bandied about, and, and I know um, it's confusing for some people, but I want to just be crystal clear, regardless of what the developer is planning, what the maximum number of bedrooms in this space could be, which if I understand would predict the maximum number of cars that spaces for automobiles that would be required. Kyle Covey with planning. Um, so the code um, deals with residential units in terms of dwelling units. So um, a, a dwelling unit is essentially a bedroom, bathroom, kitchen. Um, it doesn't necessarily get into, you know, how many bedrooms, but the parking requirements are based on bedrooms. So let's say they're proposing three bedrooms. Um, the land development code requires for duplexes, one vehicle parking space per bedroom. So if what's being proposed as a three bedroom, they would have to show that they are providing three parking spaces um, for that unit. So if it went up to four, we'd need four. If it was two, we would be looking for two. Um, so it would scale up and down depending on what is proposed there. So the idea that 50 might be the maximum number of people, could it exceed 50 based on the? Kyle, that also is difficult to say. Again, it depends on the amount of um, if these are related individuals or if they are unrelated. Um, the code has certain standards. If you are related, it doesn't cap it. So we wouldn't say, you know, you've your family, you have, you know, five kids and, and two parents or something like that. Um, and we wouldn't cap it there. But if they are unrelated, there's a requirement that no more than four unrelated individuals live in a, in a dwelling unit. Um, did you have something else? Um, I did want to clarify a, a zoning that we just saw, and since Jeff is there, he might remember it because I don't see Sandy. We we just saw the zoning for um, KU and Evergy project, which is just across the street and visible from what we're talking about. And the if my memory serves the appropriate zoning according to staff in that case. Again, just a couple weeks ago was the zoning that it possesses right now. Can someone verify that for me? Mayor, the, the property there was zoned, was, excuse me, was requested to rezone to RS7, which was residential single family, lots of 7,000 square feet, but that was to accommodate a utility major, or excuse me, a major utility use, not, not a residential use, but the RS zoning district does allow for a utility to establish in that district. Right, but if I recall staff's um, memo, that there were other things that could have used, there were other densities they could have chosen, and that one was because all of the surrounding um, zoning was RS7. Did I misremember that? Jeff Craig Planning and Development Services. There are some other zoning districts in the area, but it is predominantly buffered on the edges by RS7 districts. So in in that would make sense to have it be compatible with the other districts in its totality around it would be RS7 in that instance. Thank you. Did you have something? 
Yeah. You just need a second. <laughs> um, Escape me. Oh. Um, I, again, it isn't that I don't understand that traffic studies come a lot later, and, and Jeff, I'm glad you're here, but there are just a few things that, that we've seen in the past. Um, um, and knowing the traffic patterns there as well as I do, I foresee, particularly with the cul-de-sac idea, uh, a lot of people trying to turn left in a very dangerous situation, and a lot of people making U-turns at an already dangerous intersection. Um, I don't know that I can expect you to answer that now, but it's a very real concern to me. Um, that's a very dangerous road. <laughs> um, and uh, certainly certain times, day or night, people are, are in a much bigger hurry than usual. So I am very concerned about the cul-de-sac exiting onto Castle in that way. Can, if, do you have anything to say other than we won't have our traffic study until there's a replatting? Other, other than what you just said about the traffic study, the, the drawing you're seeing tonight is a concept drawing. It is not a flat document. It has not been fully made, vetted, and looked at for traffic impacts and those things. That would come up as part of that planning process. So if there is a concern with entering and exiting on direct on Castle versus other streets versus how it's designed and laid out, that is something that municipal services and operations would look at as part of the planning process. But it is something that, you know, very, very noted your your concern, and, and we see very similar patterns elsewhere in the city too that you've described. Oh, actually, that does remind me, um, cul-de-sacs, because memory serves. And oh yeah, I have it in front of me. Um, in our neighborhood section of 2040, um, it does call for us to limit the use of cul-de-sacs. Um, I think that's already kind of a conversation we have. Um, now it decreases connectivity. This is probably not the problem here, uh, but as a as a general rule, am I am I right that we discourage cul-de-sacs? In Plan 2040, yes, we do discourage it. However, the subdivision regulations still allow it in instances that you're seeing kind of the concept today. So that's part of our our code update that we're going through is to help align those two together. Any other questions? I had one more, just um, on the on the parking um, space issues discussed earlier, regarding the number of bedrooms uh, versus parking spaces needed. Are those off street parking spaces that are required? Oh, with planning, yes, that's correct. Off street parking spaces. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I have a question for the applicant. Um, you, Roger, I think maybe you, if the HO as you envision it, and. Um, as a retirement community with full full maintenance, would it also restrict rentals? And like rentals, I didn't hear the age, last part. Would it would you, would the HOA, as you envision it, restrict rentals? I don't know if I can do that legally. Well, I'm just asking. I don't know if I can do that legally. Okay. I mean, you, you better judge that than yeah. me. Well, it's certainly done in HOAs around the city. They it absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely is. But it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Maybe Randy. Just wondered. 
Oh, maybe I could. Good Randy. If that is Randy. I don't know. We're hearing some little feedback there. Do I have a Randy around? Hey. Randy Lodge, again, yeah, I didn't quite ask the question. <laughs> I think the question was, legally, can HOAs re limit rental properties? This is Randy Larkin, the FTC attorney. Yeah, they can limit what it can be rented, what cannot be rented. They cannot limit what the rent is and cannot put certain restrictions what the land is used, but an HOA can make certain determinations regarding what the use of the property is, as long as it's not against public policy and not discriminatory and those types of things. But I do want to remind everyone that the city has no control over what HOAs do, neither does the county. Is that accurate? If, if they are doing something, as you suggest, uh, that is illegal, that would, like uh, some of these other issues, be required that the neighbors or the people who live there sue in civil court. Is that correct? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. Yes, sometimes, although the state will sometimes put out statutes or rules that will like nullify certain provisions of an HOA. For example, there have been HOAs in town that required shake shingles. And the state said that's against the state policy and, and that invalidated all HOA agreements regarding that. So there is some of that going on. But otherwise, yes, it's a private matter between landowners and the HOA. Any other questions? Um, okay, any discussion? I, I would make another comment um, since I'm looking at 2040. We can always find something in it that does what we want. I know that. <laughs> um, uh, but it does also say um, that we should maintain the form pattern of established neighborhoods. Um, I don't think anyone's questioning that when we build new neighborhoods, we want affordable housing and, and mixed types. But I don't know that I agree that 2040 at least in the neighborhood section, is recommending shoehorning um, too many higher density or too many units in a place where it's inappropriate. There, there's a jumping off point. I would almost say though, you know, right now folks are having trouble affording housing, um, like single family housing. It's too expensive for a huge range of folks, like young folks, old folks. So duplexes might be more in that range as, you know, in terms of housing that they can own and afford and get started on that track of establishing generational wealth, which is pretty much the only way that you can accrue wealth in this country. So um, I, uh, I would say that, that, you know, from my perspective, I mean, I guess I'll go into it. Um, it follows aligns pretty closely with 24. A lot of what we want in terms of infill, um, it, it provides that opportunity for folks to gain that housing, to gain that opportunity, um, and hopefully uh, through the process, uh, you know, through the planning process later on, that uh, we'll reexamine the obvious drainage and stormwater issues that are currently currently there, as well as the traffic issues um, that can go ahead and be addressed and uh, figure out ways to go ahead and make sure and mitigate those and make sure we, we don't do any undue harm to the rest of the neighborhood. So I would be for it. So um, 
you know, we, we have a housing crisis. We've all heard that, and, and, and it's um, been a reality. We've seen where housing prices continue to go up, and um, um, folks can't can't find or that that sweet mark of affordability continues to get more and more out of reach for the average uh, community member so this idea of higher density um, within our city boundaries is something that we've been working towards as a commission and as, as a community and I think this does fall in line with our plan 2040 what um, concerned me when I first started reading about this was what I heard tonight with some of the neighbors and that is are we addressing the stormwater runoff are we addressing um, the the potential traffic issues and what I've heard tonight is that um, they will be required to do a stormwater assessment of it in that the final impact of this project has to be net zero otherwise I mean in, in essence the developer will be required to ensure that the amount of runoff is being handled by the system that he builds and that is real key um, for me anyway and on the traffic aspect of it um, the there was some concern about parking on 13th Street and we heard that that would be potentially part of the traffic study to look at that now the um, traffic that potentially is going to go on to Castle I'm not as quite sure about I'm, I'm you know that's gonna be part of that study and we'll just have to see how that turns out but I do think that this project does meet our 2040 we're wanting more density it's more sustainable for our community as a whole um, and they are going to be addressing the stormwater issue as well as looking at the traffic and so I'm going to support this project for those reasons I, I would uh jump in and add Mayor, to your last point you know I'm not certainly not uh, prejudging what a land development code will allow <laughs> in the future mm -hmm. um, but you know um, I could envision a land development code that allows duplexes and triplexes and fourplexes by right mm -hmm. even if this was RS7 zoned RS7 you would have duplexes there and just as any um, old triplexes and a person could ch ch change their house from a um, or add an ADU. Um, you know, I do think under Plan 2040 and the way we're going, you know, I guess I don't see the distinction between, you know, as much as we move forward between RS7, RS5, RS10, RMD, um, RM, you know, 12 even. I, I think we're moving in that in that direction. So. Um, you know, I see this consistent with Plan 2040 and the way our, our codes on the duplex side. I agree um, with everyone um, that the drainage and traffic issues need to be looked at, and, and they will be, and, and, and we'll be able to take those issues up, um, you know, when we get to that point. Um, and I know that's frustrating um, for neighbors to have a double <laughs> process, where you have this process first and then the following process. Um, but frankly, the reason, part of the reason for that is the cost associated with trying to solve those problems. You need to figure out, if you have the zoning first, to go in and figure out this, the solving of those problems. And I trust city staff um, and BG consulting um, to, to work on that and solve, you know, working to solve those drainage problems. I mean, I do hear a lot of issues on Lawrence Avenue and Jana Court, really, um, you know, the testimony about street problems you know where the where that drains, and so I certainly hope staff is listening to that, and maybe we can go look at some of those and how um, 
Christ Community Church, especially if they do anything, but even if they don't, how we can look at some of those drainage problems um, and what we can do as a city to help those problems. So I'll first off start by saying that I do concur with everyone in regards to the drainage and um, traffic study. And I don't want to spend the next three minutes tops talking on that. I think where there seems to be an opportunity for um, understanding and expanding one's thought of infill density, affordable housing, um, that's, that's what I want to focus on in regards to the proposed rezoning. Um, I've heard us talk about Plan 2040 infill density over and over throughout this discussion. Um, we don't stipulate what infill is designated for. So I need a, uh, you know, that's something that we have to be mindful of. We don't stipulate what infill is designated for. So whether that is HOA, you know, duplexes for uh, a population for aging in place, whether it is um, infill for mixed income, moderate income housing, we don't state that in 2040. We just state the importance of infill in order to address a housing need. Um, with that being said, we are moving towards having a comprehensive understanding of the housing needs of our populations here in our community. And that, as we do that, and we have partners, whether they're private developers, whether they're our CHOTOs, land trusts, individuals such as tenants to homeowners, whether it's Habitat for Humanity, or even our housing authority, all of that work is happening concurrently. There's opportunities for collaboration. Um, there's opportunities not to do it. Um, but we know that those are happening, happening concurrently, and how they happen is what we need to be mindful of, and are they addressing the needs of the population? Um, this particular development would not serve any purpose for me, because I'm not of an aged, uh, I'm not aged, um, and that that's not what our, um, that's not what our developer is here for. So I just want us to be mindful of that as we process through these, these pieces. Um, you know, I also want us to be careful with how our intentions of density is articulated. Um, I know that there was some conversation that came up in regards to property values, things that were tossed up, property values, low-income housing, and those things were, I don't, I'm not saying, I don't want to conflate those two together, but I also want us to, to note that there's been plenty of studies, many, many studies, studies that I studied while in, in, in school that there is usually a net zero or even a positive impact on surrounding housing properties when a community invests in mixed income as well as low income or moderate income housing. So, I mean, that is something that is not of normal knowledge, um, but there's been plenty of studies for many, many years that have shown that there is not a, there's not a negative net. It's usually a net zero or a positive um, input with that, a reflection of that. And so, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, I heard something tonight as a result, as it reflects Plan 2040, as well as some of the um, confer, uh, conferees in regards to this piece talk about 
you know, having units or having housing that reflects, that is compatible or reflects the current character and that's, that, you know, the current character or the existing development. And as we go through a, um, we're going through the development code process of reimagining what our, our, our zoning codes look like in our community, I want us to be careful with that. Um, that, that language can be dangerous when we talk about the profile of an existing or the character of an existing community. You know, I don't want us to, to go to the polars opposites of, you know, whether it's multi-family units, apartments, as which we've seen pop up in the last 20 years, or single-family detached. You know, we're missing that variety in the middle. And it's going to in order for us to have that, it's gonna happen with infill development as well as as we annex additional land and we incorporate mixed income units of housing. That's the only way our community is going to survive and thrive is because if we have that type of housing. So um, I just wanted to at least share thoughts on that because that's an educational opportunity for our community. Um, Infill is, 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 is complex, it's difficult, um, but there's several things at hand or things that I'm looking at and considering with these type of proposals uh, or requests is what is the population being served? How does it, how does the current zoning, you know, reflect the current character of the community, but also a way of providing another aspect of character to the community? So. I just wanted to share those little thoughts. Um, Sherry, can you um, talk to me about the petition? You're talking about the petition that was submitted. Mm -hmm. I would be the better one. Oh, okay. He, I didn't know. I thought you had to certify it. <laughs> I receive it, but they, and yes, but in, ter in terms of whether it was sufficient or not. Kyle Coe with planning, I can help answer any questions you have. Um, you know, essentially the way that when we receive those, we the first check is to make sure it came in on time. Um, the second check is to do an evaluation of the land area included within 200 feet surrounding the subject property. And then um, I evaluate whether or not it has gone over the 20% um, mark. And how many households or how many people are on there? I don't have an exact count of the amount of signatories. I uh, In the memo that's included with it, it notes that there's 29 parcels and 261,433 square feet total included. Um, when we do those checks, we check to make sure that the signatories are the same as those that are shown on the property records for each property. So in some cases, there's one individual. In other cases, there's two. Um, but I did not do an, a, a summary of, of each individual person. Do you mind if I ask you, do you know how many people were on that petition? Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so I appreciate all your comments and I'm not totally surprised. 
um, the promise that this might be affordable just doesn't work on me. I happen to know what they're charging for similar units across the street at Presbyterian Manor. There's nothing affordable about that. There's no reason to imagine these might not um, get the same, have the same market value if that is indeed what they'll be used for. There is no guarantee to the neighborhood that this won't be twice as big as it's being discussed. Um, two of the most important items, if they went badly, either in, immediately or in years to come, would force the neighbors to personally sue someone, which is quite burdensome for an individual homeowner, um, especially when they're trying to protect their greatest investment. And most of these people that I know have lived there 20 years and pay taxes 20 years or more. Um, and they have a fair expectation, I think, of the neighborhood having a similar pattern to what it has now. Um, and that's, I mean, that's some golden rule stuff where, you know, wherever we live, we expect other people to treat us the same way. We would have the same expectations. Um, obviously, you've heard my concerns about the traffic um, as they go forward in the plotting process and any other processes that would require that these neighbors pay vigilantly close attention to what is happening um, if memory serves more or less. Um, and planning administration. Um, we'll see one more part of this, is that correct? Would come forward to us one more time? Is that for Kyle? Hey, Kyle. Mm -hmm. Kyle, can we with planning as the, well, the preliminary plat will go through planning commission for approval and then it comes through, the final plat comes through city commission for acceptance of dedications of rights of way Okay. Um, obviously, I am less inclined to ignore a hard-fought petition. That is the purpose of these petitions, is to make sure that the neighborhood can speak with us in an official way. That is the point of that. It's hard for me to ignore. Certainly, um, some will interpret this to mean that I reject infill. That is not even moderately true. I do believe there are a lot of places where infill is appropriate, and this is not one of those places. Um, so obviously, um, I have not been able to persuade anyone, um, but you know, I would I would remind us all that not everything is. Um, one size fits all, and certainly Plan 2040, as Commissioner Sellers points out in many ways, um, doesn't necessarily lend itself to pointing that out. Um, I doubt very much there's anything I could say um, to change one commissioner's mind. Um, well, Mayor, I hate for you to speak prematurely. I think what what I, I hope to accomplish in the comments that I provided, or at least the, the thoughts, nuggets that I wanted to share with the commission is that, one, I, 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 I did not look at this as um, 
an affordable housing um, project. I, I, I did hyperspeed through the planning commission meeting where um, the applicant did have that conversation, had that discussion um, aspect. I don't see it as that. What I hope the commission will, or commissioners will entertain is an ability to crosswalk and intersect the different components of this. Whether we talk about the infill, the need, and as that relates to characteristics of a community. That word can be, that, that can be a dangerous word because not everybody wants a single family detached home. I don't need a single family detached home. It is just me and my imaginary dog that I plan to have in, in my backyard. Well, it'll be real by that time. But the idea is that we have to recognize that there are, we have opportunities to build housing that will provide for transitional people to transition out of housing that will open up housing stock as well as address housing stock that speaks to the moderate income individual, to the family who chooses uh, to rent versus um, owning, to the young professional, to the individual who chooses to age in place with a fixed income. These are many different populations, not even speaking to culture or age, just those populations within themselves. And so that's where my, my thought is coming into this. So, you know, you know I, I, I think there's the idea that some of us may be leaning one way than the other based on your hypothesis or hypothesis of where we are. I think that's a little bit unfair um, because there's a lot at play. And I think those are the things and those are the perspectives as commissioners, we need to start thinking about these things as these proposals, as these items come to us for potential rezoning and uh, until we have our document in place of what that's going to look like. And so we have to take all of these, all these variables into account. And it's ugly, it's messy, I get it. I like living in that because it allows you to think critically and outside of oneself to understand who are we trying to. So my mind is when I'm looking at this is what does this, actual zoning potential have the ability to bring to the community while listening to what the community has stated while also looking at plan 2040 and, uh, and, and other things in place so thank you there's opportunity there don't don't sell yourself short okay um, with that I will entertain motions I'll make a motion to approve the request to rezone Z22-00216, approximately 3.4 acres from RS7 district to RM12D district, located at 1100 Castle Drive, based on the findings presented in the staff report and adopt on first reading ordinance number 9937. Second. I have a first and second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All those opposed? Nay. Nay. Um, that does not pass. Um, Sherry or Randy, what do we need to do?
Thanks. Uh, this is Randy Larkin, uh, Deputy City Attorney. The uh, motion did not pass, and so the rezoning did not pass. Uh, if you wanted to direct staff to prepare findings of fact uh, or con conclusions of law, we could do that. I don't know that would be necessary in this case, but at this point in time, uh, with the protest petition being filed, it takes four votes to pass, so it did not pass. All right. And should we recommend findings of fact anyway, or do we think we're we're? Uh, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. That's um, I, I'm 50-50 on that, to be honest with you. So sometimes I, I I know that we need to do it, and in this case, I think I'll leave it to the, the uh, commission's discretion. Commissioner Finkelstein, what do you think? I don't know that we need them at this point for this. Okay. Thank you, everyone, and thank you to the applicant. Um, and thank you, staff, for all your work as well. That brings us to commission items. Go I got one item. <laughs> I would like to um, ask the commission to consider taking a second look at our short-term rental um, ordinance that we passed a few years ago. There's an item in there that limits the number of short-term rentals allowed um, per person. I would like for us to revisit that. What's up? What's up? Well, we've got, um, I, I went back and talked to some of the other older former commissioners, I should say, because <laughs> it came up that we only limit it to three per person, but we also took it out of the residential areas, which was what I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, so now it's just limited to commercial and I believe industrial. So I'm trying to find out or remember why we did just three. So I would like to revisit and discuss, do we really need to have that limitation on there if we are doing what we wanted to do then was to keep it out of the residential and it's just in the commercial. Why would we need to just limit it to three? So that's what I would You like. just didn't remember? Well, I don't remember, but then also I, I don't understand the reasoning. I just don't know if that makes sense given that we're limited to commercial already. <sighs> Um, I'm not arguing with you. I'm glad you brought it up. I was noticing, of course, over the weekend with the game, a vast number of people who suddenly lived above the shops downtown Massachusetts. Um, that had Iowa shirts on. Um, uh, so I, w I had some curiosities about that as well. Um, my recollection was to try to keep individuals from coming in and buying up a bunch of units. but. I appreciate that you would like to revisit that. Because it's just, you know, we're living it to commercial. It doesn't hit the residential market because they can't have short-term rentals in the residential district. Anybody else? I'm interested in hearing the... Yeah, hearing about it. I mean, I don't know if it. Could we ask get, for it to come back on an agenda? Could we get a memo and have it on right. city manager so it yeah, doesn't. Yeah, just talk about what you know. The the if anybody can come up with the reason why I just don't remember a couple of years ago why we said three and I thought it maybe was related to when we were talking about allowing residential properties to do short term rentals that it was a kind of a um, hangover from that and we just didn't address it when we just limited it to commercial. So you're just wanting to clarify? Well, clarify, but I'd also like to look at maybe changing that, possibly, at least having that discussion. 
could we get like a reminder memo that doesn't absorb too much staff time but answers the question sure we'll do some research on what happened at the at the at that meeting when it was decided and then that may prompt you to take further action we'll bring it back on a city manager's report thank you I just wanted to take a point of personal privilege. I know that there's, um, in some previous conversations during uh, general public comments of um, different quotes that were stated during the general public comments, and um, there's been one particular quote that has been co-opted and remixed, and so I just wanted to share with um, the commission the original quote um, that came from um, UN um, Secretary General um, Antonio Guterres, and this was back in 2019, December 2019, and the original quote is, the Holocaust didn't start with the gas chambers. The genocides in Rwanda and, Cambo and Cambodia didn't start with mass killings. They started with discrimination and hate speech. Hate speech. Let's pay tribute to genocide victims by fighting for prevention through equality in our words and our actions. So I just wanted to take a point of saying that is the original quote um, that folks have taken that others have requoted and remixed, plagiarized, however you want to see it, but the original quote came from UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres back in 2019. Thank you for that clarification. Any other commission items? Um, that brings oh, oh, one more. Uh, I know you guys missed me on the 20th. I saw that uh, we deferred um, discussion around the expansion of the utility assistance program, and I noticed that it wasn't on. I noticed it gets into the city manager's report, and so I could yield until then to discuss it, but I didn't know. Um, I'll just yield and wait until we get into <laughs> the city manager's report and talk about it. Sorry. Okay, thanks. Uh, that brings us to the city manager's report. Okay, uh, three items on here. The first one is the um, uh, bringing back to you the uh, modified uh, sidewalk survey for Lawrence Listens. Um, I think that was originated by a request from the city commission, and then yeah. you had some comments, and I think we reacted to those comments. I, I do. I do have some technical edits, I, and in the interest of time, I don't necessarily want to go through them tonight. I can share that with staff, and staff can share it with the commission, but there's just some language that makes me a little bit uncomfortable um, as far as just the, the sentence structure. Um, question three, have you participated? I think I changed it to have you participate in the sidewalk improvement program. And I think it said worked with city staff. I think it was just incomplete sentences and it doesn't really flow into it to say, yes, I worked with city staff or no, I repaired. And I think this is part of the original conversation that we had. But um, there's rationale to individuals efficiently and effectively completing surveys just based on having more simplified recognized language so that was one there um, question five I didn't know if that was an open-ended question or that's how it's going to be formatted that kind of goes into a narrative of current funding blah 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 and then the sentence says is do you think spending on sidewalk repairs should increase 
to speed up the repairs, stay about the same, or decrease the length of the time it takes to the repair. So I didn't know if staff wanted to state if that was going to be a multiple, you know, multiple choice question, or is it an open-ended question that individuals who are taking the survey will just fill in. That just wasn't it just wasn't structured in the survey, so I don't I don't know if that was the case. And then question six, um, I think it said which describes you. And so I just said which option best describes you. Again, these are little technical pieces I'd be more than happy to share with staff, but I think it just gives it a better, cleaner, professional polish look not you know I didn't add too much to it staff did a wonderful job putting this together you know this is just a world I, I live in so just wanted to give it a little bit more technical panache so that it's a little bit more cleaner and understandable okay I'd appreciate getting those those comments and we'll include them and I'll just make a notation that this isn't this isn't a random sample survey so the reliability of this is really just not there okay just I, I, I want to make sure that we're not confusing random sample surveys and we really are kind of mixing them with this Lawrence Sisson survey. So however you word the questions is a little bit irrelevant because we're not randomizing the sample. This is just whoever selects and decides to come into the survey. So just right. kind of a fair warning when we get these results back, take it with a grain of salt. Right. And I, I honor that. I think for me it's just excellence. So I want to see excellence. Uh, the next item just highlights um, the great work um, that we kind of quietly have been doing in our transit uh, with our transit group, and they received some recognition from the Kansas Public Transit Association at their conference. And it, it you know, in one paragraph lists these amazing things that you know we've worked on and. Um, that you all have funded, that the federal government has partnered with us on, um, some key policy um, changes, um, but just a tremendous effort by Adam Weigel and his team to um, really do a lot of work in the last uh, two or three years. I wanted to recognize that. Mm -hmm. And the last item is the future agenda items, including the item that you brought up. So just in regards, I know we, I know that uh, the commission on the 20th deferred the discussion around the expansion of the um, utility assistance program. I just didn't, I don't see it on here and I didn't know, wanted to talk with the commission in regards to if that's something we want to see come back. It, it's, um, on, it's on October 11th. It's on there. Oh, is it on there? Yeah. Oh, I'm just lying. That's all. <laughs> it's there. So much more for, for coffee eyes. <laughs> Uh, this is a public comment item. Is there any public comment online? No, Mayor. Um, all right. That brings us to the calendar. Anything that needs to be added to the calendar? All right. I would entertain motions. Move to adjourn. Second. I have a first and second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Passes five to zero. Thank you, everyone. Well, I won't be drinking coffee.